0: Make a muscle with your brain You're not as broken as You are brave All the things that fuck you up Knock them out and then come Back to us Tonight could be The roughest of your life Awake, dying to survive. Don't be afraid to want to be alive.
1: What's going on guys? My name is Aldeniro and welcome to episode 67 of the Midnight Hour, and what an episode it's going to be. The fourth episode in four weeks. That's consistency that you can't buy unless you buy anything that isn't our podcast, because our consistency is terrible. As far as I can tell, this is the longest episode, and for me, one of the most interesting to record since probably episode five. I know that episode itself has uh, its own little subgenre of people who enjoy it, and this one is a lot along those lines. We're starting the episode off with War Paint by Beach Slang. It's from their new album, A Loud Bash of Teenage Feelings, and it's the quietest and probably most mature song from an album that's absolutely laced with rebellious teenage rhetoric, reminiscent of my college days. It's an album by a band who just like to bang things really loudly and shout, but they have filled the hole left by Japan Droids not releasing an album in like four years or whatever it's been. The song starts off with the line, make a muscle with your brain, and I think most people think of the brain as being just a muscle, which is of course wildly incorrect because it's an organ, but whenever I think of the word brain, it evokes this image of a minced meat looking zombie dream dish rather than the functioning compartments housed within it that give us these things like the ability to think, or to dream, or to imagine, or As they say in the song, to want to be alive, and that's sort of along the lines of what we'll be talking about today. Just the nature of consciousness and how strange it is that we can't really get to the heart of this thing that we presumably all experience. I myself experienced consciousness just earlier on today, much to the surprise of everyone around me, because I'm a robot who was created in a lab. Anyway, my guest today is Dr. John Shanley, a physician with an academic background in psychology, philosophy, and neuroscience, and together we solve the problem of consciousness for once and for all. Interestingly, John is the second doctor to ever appear on this podcast, unless of course you require your doctors to have degrees and qualifications and all that medical mumbo jumbo, in which case my role as doctor of Togonomics may have been overstated somehow, I do want to say straight up, this is a very heavy topic, it's very sciency at the start, but then it falls into uh, much more familiar ground, and I think that you guys will really, really, really enjoy it. There are so many avenues that the conversation could have gone down, and a lot of stuff that we didn't get to talk about. So if you have any questions, anything you want us to discuss, or any input at all, ...on what we have to say in this episode, we are going to do a follow-up episode as long as there is enough feedback. So you can leave your questions or discuss this episode at reddit.com slash or slash midnighthour. You can download it for free at soundcloud.com slash podcast, Or you can leave a comment in the comment section on YouTube. Everything will be linked everywhere. We also have a Twitter account TMH Podcast, I think it is, that'll be in the description too, and my Twitter will also be in the description. So anyway, with the intro out of the way, enjoy the episode.
0: Knock the pills out of your in the
1: verse can stop me consciousness Uh, you're gonna solve that problem I understand yes yes we're gonna solve it together yeah okay yeah excellent I'm glad that we've agreed to do this so um the problem of consciousness is something that like uh, if you even just google the problem of consciousness you can find an endless stream of like TED talks and uh, all sorts of even other podcasts and things where they always introduce it as the problem of consciousness, and it's something uh, similar to just the problem of, you know, the universe and the fact that we don't know a whole lot about it. Um, But consciousness is very interesting because it's something that, I think it's fair to say, we've all experienced at some point in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think just, like, when I see it explained in in really uh, simple terms, just the fact that you fall asleep and you lose consciousness and then you wake up and then you're conscious again. It's like, it's like if we got a glimpse of the universe from afar, like, each day, and then we're back on Earth each day. Like, you know what I mean? It's sort of a, yeah. a very strange thing in that we all are aware of it, and at the same time, we just are um, sort of stuck with this uh, this sort of age-old question about yeah, yeah. Um, John Locke and his <laughs> buddy, George Barkley. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you want to maybe talk about those two opposing viewpoints?
2: Yeah, cool. Um, I think before we get into maybe that, even just so we can...
1: Well, the foundations insure, of it. Yeah,
2: or on. ensure that we're on the same page, maybe just kind of go into like, a what is consciousness and just kind of as to what we mean by it so that people can then follow our stream of thought. And, that would
1: make more sense. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, did, did you want to talk about what you take consciousness to be?
1: Yeah, this is again. Um, I, I listened to another podcast about it, which uh, there was a guy on it who had come up with something like twenty-seven different definitions of the yeah. consciousness. Um, to me, I guess it's just the awareness that you are that, like you, that you are a thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever stared at yourself in a mirror for like a minute or like two minutes and just? realized that that's you that you're looking at and had that real like fright in your stomach yeah um yeah that to me is like uh from a really young age i i used to do that like honestly i think probably six years old or something yeah um and it used to give me like a huge fright so each time i would do it i got like a sort of um a buzz off of it And then I would, it would wear away eventually. So I'd have to wait like two months and then go, oh, I'm going to go stare at myself in the mirror. (laughs) Get your Uh, hit
2: of your face. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, I need my (laughs) hit. Well, my hair is good today. Um, But yeah, so like um, from a really young age, I was aware that that was there, but I was never able to put a name to it. And I think just having been from such a young age, been searching for that meaning of like what I am or, Like, how to get to grips with that or relate that sensation to other people. I think I would just describe that as consciousness. It's just that sudden, like, innate knowledge that you are a thing. Like, that's what I sort of uh, describe as consciousness. I don't know how far the market is or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in the right realm, obviously. Definitely. Uh, So, the
2: way I think about it is... um, like I'll just give a quote here by a guy who wrote a really good compendium of different essays on consciousness, David Chalmers. And he said, right now you have a movie playing in your mind. So everything you see here, everything that's basically available to your visual perception, auditory perception, to your conscious awareness, that it's, it's basically like a movie. And the qualities of each of those elements determine your conscious experience. So it's It's like an amalgamation of of multiple different things that exist in a way that's kind of very subjective and very oriented around you. It's as if kind of like if, if you imagine you're just like stuck in a jail cell at the moment and someone was showing you on a movie screen what you're seeing through your eyes. If they did it in a good enough way, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like if, if they could, like, I don't know, move your body around, like, like virtual reality basically is kind of what I'm, I'm getting at. Like if they did it sufficiently well, like how do you tell the difference between an Oculus Rift and actually no Oculus Rift if it's sufficiently good? You know what I mean? So, like, the way we perceive the world is basically like a movie, except that it's it's very real and it's a very consistent movie. It doesn't make any weird blackouts at different times, although it depends on what you drink. Especially. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, like, it, it's kind of like the movie that plays in your mind. And it's a subjective awareness of the, the world around you and it's extraordinarily hard to describe for something that's so close to our fundamental yeah. living. Like, it's, it's, it's so weird.
1: It really is. It's, it's something that, even as I was sort of describing to you what I perceived it to be, I was just not able to put my finger on it. Exactly. The it, thing it, that I was trying to
0: explain. It's
2: as if it's so necessary for any description at all. You need to be able to get around something to describe it, but because consciousness is the be-all, end-all, how can you get around it and talk about it objectively when it's the subjective be-all, end-all? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how, like, if someone said to you right now, how do you, can you define a particular sound in words? Like, you could write the words down, but, like, the person reading those words doesn't really have the proper perception of that sound that you're trying to describe or whatever just by words. Like, trying to be objective about perceptions and phenomena just doesn't really cut it, and, and that's why there's the subjective and the objective.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say about words, too, because there are so many words that, to me, like, describe the thing that they're trying to do like not quite onomatopoeia but just I, I, like for example this is a silly uh, example but you know the word naff yeah. I mean I that word is so ridiculous like the, the type of person that would use a word like naff I'm just imagining like an old man with like his trousers tucked into his socks and you know what I mean just, yeah. the word itself is such a ridiculously short and just yes. needless word that exactly. i immediately attribute that meaning to it um, and yeah like I, I, I mean I can't even explain that because I can't like I, it all comes back to the word yeah. essentially
2: <laughs> yeah 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 all right cool well and now that we've settled that about consciousness yeah. and our different stances on it yeah so I think historically it'd be a good place to start with the two 18th century philosophers who you talked about George Berkeley, who was Irish wahey, yes. and John Locke Who is English? Boo. Uh, I know, but um, yeah, so just to set the problem, okay, so Locke basically said in relation to empiricism, which is the branch of philosophy that's um, oriented or centered around how we interpret the world and investigate the world, he said that all objects, objects can be broken down into having one of two qualities, so primary qualities or secondary qualities. He said that primary qualities are qualities that exist in the object itself. So, for instance, the table has a particular uh, dimension, it has a particular weight, it's made of a particular type of wood, etc. etc. These so- sorts of things are objective. Like if two people measured it with the same ruler, they'd get the same length. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas there's secondary qualities that are different from the primary qualities. And what these are, these are ones that are dependent upon the person who is looking at it or who is perceiving it. So, for instance, the color it is. Like if it was a, a color brown, like that brown isn't in the object itself, but that kind of brown is created by our minds once the light is reflected from the table or desk and hits us in the eyes and our brain creates this perception of brown. or he'd also say things like you know if you're smelling chocolate he's like that smell of chocolate isn't in the object itself but it's the perception that's created when certain things hit our nose or olfactory system that's sent to the brain then and it creates this perception or this smell of chocolate so they'd be secondary qualities as opposed to the primary ones but then George Barclay came along and he said well if you think about it both primary and secondary qualities are sort of products of the brain, no matter what way you think about it. The secondary ones, of course, you're dead right. They're created by the brain, but the primary ones, they're still created by the brain. Like you're still requiring different sort of visual perception to come in. Like when you're touching it, that's tactile perception. It's all going to the brain. The brain's all creating it itself. Sure. That's requiring an external reality to create this perception, but the perception that's created is in no way dependent upon the object that is touching like dreamlike states prove that like in a dream you can dream about a desk you can dream about touching a desk the desk can be almost impossible to disassociate from a real desk in your dream so really when you're talking about primary and secondary qualities you can actually lump them together and, and call them both secondary qualities as because they're all dependent upon the brain
1: whoa yeah okay um i read about uh barclay versus Locke, and it did not <laughs> it did not translate as simplistically as what you have just described. And I still don't know which side I sit on, to be honest, because as mm-hmm. you were describing the uh, the primary and secondary qualities, I was like, yes, absolutely. Like you have things like just sounds that you hear, or mm. um, or, or emotions. I think is is also a, a good one, like yeah. a good example of a of a secondary quality, and. I, I I don't know because I've always had this. Th- there's the whole concept of time as well as as a like is, is that secondary or uh, primary? Is that is that has that ever been discussed in it? Because obviously time is the man made you know like amount of time we have like seconds in minutes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it has been proven that. Um, Like, people, some people can experience time in different levels, and it can relate different. Like, does that ever factor into it, or have I just waffled about something? No, yeah, totally. Um,
2: George Barclay goes into it a fair bit, and he talks about kind of time and perception. Does time only exist because we perceive it, or... Do perceptions require time to exist independently in order for perceptions to exist in the first place? As in, is time an a priori concept that we have to accept in order to even begin to discuss ideas or perceptions? Because it depends upon time to exist. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's. It's, I mean, it's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um. I still. I still can't really figure out. Like, I think I sort of. I think I'm. I'm quite cautious in um in my opinions and i tend to sit on the fence until i've absorbed enough information that i can competently say i'm on this side or this side and yeah. i'm veering more towards lock because i just think it's safer um, yeah. from a certain point of view it just it makes more sense to me in my head and it also feels more comforting I think, to perceive consciousness on that level, because you're assuming that it's slightly more of a level playing field and less sort of, not quite chaotic, but it's less ambiguous, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, no. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally get you. And it it, it sort of also makes sense when you think about, like, science, aims to describe an objective reality that seems to be extraordinarily consistent day in, day out. I think if you do an experiment one way and you repeat it the next day, you get the exact same result if you counter for all the variables sufficiently. So like intuitively, I think Locke's position makes perfect intuitive sense. But I think if you delve deeper and realize that, okay, These things are happening. There's consistency. There does seem to be an intuitive difference between height and weight and smell and taste, which seem to be kind of different, more subjective versus objective. But still, I think at the end of the day, if you're like measuring something in terms of height, for example, it's still only as real as your brain is telling you. And Just because you can repeat it again and again and you get the same result, maybe that just means whatever it is you're tapping into is just a more consistent in its subjective nature. In the subjective nature it creates, it's just very consistent, whatever quality that is. But it's a difference in degree and not a difference in kind. Primary and secondary qualities, I'd argue, are only a difference in degree in that there's... They seem to be more objective, they're more reproducible, but still they require the brain to exist. They still only exist insofar as the brain creates them.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, I'd, <laughs> I, I'd still go towards luck, but yeah. I think this is just a door that I've opened right now um, in my brain. Like, There's a whole lot of... I, I need to fill that hole with a lot of information before I can comfortably say... Um so for now I guess I'll just whatever the Irish guy is I'm I'm on his no nah, um I I do think that I I veer more towards locks just because I don't think I have the information available to comfortably Yeah.
2: But then I suppose you'd have to be able to justify like do you know the brain in a vat hypothesis? No. So the brain in a vat hypothesis uh states that every single person on the planet could just be a brain in a vat that's been stimulated sufficiently and in the correct way to create each person's own
1: world. Oh, for, I actually I, I've read about this on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, th- that, that ties in... Um, well, I mean, it's on the same... You know when you're up at 2am and you're clicking Wikipedia links
2: yeah. going from
1: one thing to the next? Um, I think the thing that I stopped on during this particular run of clicking links was the um, the... How do I know? If I wake up having dreamt that I was a butterfly... Yeah. How do I know that I'm not a butterfly dreaming that I'm a man?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and this was when I was going through like a huge binge of sort of artificial intelligence or or, or the whole um, concept of a simulated reality. And I do recall the brain in a vat thing. And I always liken it to the movie The Matrix when Neo wakes up and crawls out of the.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Like thing that the cocoon thing that he's. Uh, yeah. yeah. In or, or whatever it is um and so how does that tie into luck you have to justify that how do you know that you're not well
2: it's just that i think um if you're going to say that okay so i think there are primary qualities i think there are secondary qualities and i think they are objectively separate Mm. if you were just a brain in a vat then technically they wouldn't be different qualities at all because they'd all be created simply by electrochemical stimulation of the brain in different areas
1: yeah yeah, I, I have actually heard, well, I, I've sort of read variations of that before. And yeah. I, I see, I, I have been a person who has been sort of um, not a firm believer in, but definitely um, would be willing to entertain the possibility of us actually being in a simulation. And so yeah. whenever that topic comes up, <laughs> obviously I do not have the uh, intellectual capabilities to... Argue the point. Oh of, god! Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, I it's, it's am infinitely
1: ridiculous. fascinated by the fact that so many like really highly educated and and competent people have said like it, it, it's a possibility and it's not one that we can discount. And I don't know that sort of excites me in a weird way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think maybe like i like are, are there varying levels of like not consciousness, but varying levels with which people um maybe perceive or even explore consciousness because like I find myself every now and then like on on a sleepless night um, I'll be sort of just thinking and even getting a slight bit of anxiety about the fact that I exist and I guess it's more existentialism actually than consciousness yeah yeah. Um, But if if the two things tie in in any way I don't know but that the whole topic of consciousness and the more I read about it the more I sort of got this uh, this innate desire to find out what I am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you could help me with that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> do you want to move on to the Chinese room? Yeah, cool, cool. I think that sort of is a good point to bounce off of after just sort of opening the door to simulated reality because that relates to artificial intelligence in some way too yeah Um, yeah the chinese room obviously is like the thought experiment when it comes to the discussion of artificial intelligence
2: yeah exactly cool
1: um do you want to give a breakdown or will i Uh, i think you should do it
2: okay cool um so the chinese room experiment it was coined by john searle who wrote a really really good book called mind a brief introduction um this was in the 1980s as well yeah and basically what he was trying to show was was that in principle computers can't be conscious so the thought experiment goes like this he said imagine there is a person locked in a room and in this room there is a rule book and this rule book is all in Chinese and the rule book basically goes with an if and a then sequence so basically it says if this symbol comes into the room then you send this symbol out of the room so lo and behold these symbols come into the room the person in the room with the rule book, looks up the rule book, checks the symbols that are there, and then according to the rule book, they follow it, and then they send out symbols that coincide with what the rule book states should happen. So little does this person know that The symbols that are coming in are actually questions in Chinese and the symbols they're putting out are actually answers in Chinese. And these questions and answers, they make perfect sense when coined together. But the person in the room can't speak a word of Chinese and they don't know what they're doing. They're just following a rule book. But if you are outside of the room, and you were seeing what's going into the room and what's coming out, you'd be like, wow, this person really knows Chinese. Like uh, for every question that's going in, the correct answer is coming out. We can basically put in any question and the correct answer will come out. But that's only because that the person in the room is following the rule book and the rule book is giving all the right answers, even though that person can't speak a word of Chinese. So for instance, someone who might believe in a computer's artificial intelligence, would say that, oh, yeah, computers are intelligent. Like, look, when we ask it a question, it gives us the right answer. Look how smart they are. But then kind of the John uh, Searle's uh, Chinese room experiment shows that there, well, there doesn't have to be anything that that knows what it's talking about when it's doing this. Like they could just be simply following a rule book. When an input comes in, they give the right output and it gives the illusion of intelligence. But there's actually nobody that knows Chinese in that whole Room That person doesn't know Chinese. The rule book is just a rule book. It's an inanimate object. And the symbols coming in and the symbols going out are all kind of uh, inconsequential to what the person is doing. They're just following a rule
1: book. Yeah, the same as a computer would. Yeah. Um, This was um, contested, or at least when Deep Blue, uh, which was a program, uh, a computer program made by IBM, I think,
2: yeah, that's yeah, um, yes, right.
1: And it beat uh, World Chess Champion Gary Kasparov. Yeah, in an actual like regulation tournament match. Yeah. Um, and I think I always thought that that was a really significant win for AI. If you know what I mean, like a real yeah, play. definitely yeah, artificial intelligence is definitely real. Like it's just fucking owned this chess guy. Um, but I think the, the Chinese room really sort of brought me back to reality and just made me think that this is not a computer that is, like, intuitively playing chess. It's just a thing that's been programmed to know exactly what move to make when the time comes. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I still sort of feel, I, and I, I can't, I, I said this to you just before we started recording, but I'm just not able to articulate my argument against the Chinese room. Yeah, I, I guess like from a um, experimental point of view, I just cannot come up with any kind of alternative, which yeah. is, um, <laughs> I mean, it's humbling that no one else has really managed to either. <laughs> yeah, true. Even mine's much greater than mine, but I do feel as though it's, I, I don't know. I, I just have this sort of um, like a pathological
2: propensity to adhere to artificial intelligence
1: yeah or like i sort of feel like it's disingenuous in some way because it's coming up with a thing that's like no artificial intelligence can't exist because it's just going to do all this stuff i just feel like it doesn't account for potential um Mm. i don't know advances in in certain things like i've seen that um they're doing like all these um uh what do you call it experiments with Uh, like nanotechnology and bio nanotechnology and yeah yeah um by you know 30 years from now they will have um certain like devices and things like that that can cure certain diseases that we have now yeah and i just don't know that at some point within the next because of the advancement of technology and how quickly we all move i just i just couldn't rule out the possibility of a of all of these advancements at once being combined into one thing to form an artificial intelligence, it's just... I I just can't rule it out. I've probably seen too many science fiction movies or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about it?
2: Yeah, I I guess it boils down to the question... um, So, for instance an artificial intelligence proponent looking at a computer spitting out Chinese answers to Chinese questions would be like, look, it's smart. It knows Chinese. So I guess like that's it. The the artificial intelligence proponent would be like, it knows Chinese. Of course it knows it. Look, it's giving out answers to questions when we give them to them. They're intelligent answers and they're consistently intelligent answers. Therefore, it knows Chinese. And I think the Chinese room thought experiment basically goes, okay, well, Here's the thought experiment. Which part of this mechanism knows Chinese? It can't be the person in the room. That person doesn't speak Chinese. There's nothing else there that's anything other than an inanimate object. Just what is it about this thing that knows Chinese? So I think you have to be able to answer what actually knows Chinese in the Chinese room experiment and then extrapolate that out to a computer which is obviously much more convoluted and complicated but the principle the principle is the same so until you can say kind of what knows Chinese in the Chinese room experiment then you haven't really made any headway in trying to prove what knows Chinese in an actual computer or computer program
1: (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's sort of I I I don't know what the exact definition of artificial intelligence is or rather yeah. what the arbitrary um components of artificial intelligence are before we allow it to be officially something that is artificially intelligent
2: Is the Turing test
1: still like the legitimate one I I think I've I mean the fact that the Turing test um, for those that don't know, the Turing test was um, invented by a guy called Alan Turing, and it's the idea that if you have a bunch of people in a room and they're all on separate computers, um, and some of the people in the room are talking uh, using their computer to talk to other people in another room, and some of the people in the room are using their computer to talk to another computer, and basically, at the point that those people who are talking to the computer don't know that they're talking to a computer and they assume that they're talking to another person, that computer is then granted the consciousness. It, like, it, it, is, it is conscious in, in that sense, you know? It's, it's, it, is, it is very arbitrary. Um, it's just yeah. ascribed consciousness, which I feel is definitely disingenuous. But then, if it is given consciousness, does that constitute artificial intelligence? Like, obviously not, because it wouldn't pass the, well, not the Chinese room uh, test, because that's not a test, but it it falls under the category of uh, the Chinese room thought experiment, and it's just something that spits out information based on what it's asked, rather than something that is comprehensively... Innate. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: it's... it's For anyone having difficulty following, it's sort of like how Ben Carson is like, what is he, a brain surgeon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's like, if you were like, well, this guy is a brain surgeon, he's clearly intelligent. Uh, Let's try him in a different field, and then you put him into politics, and he is quite clearly not intelligent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah exactly
2: um or he's got a very limited scope of intelligence
1: yeah which i I think though as a society we do have a one-size-fits-all definition of intelligence where if someone is particularly skilled in one field we just imagine that they're amazing in
2: every other field
1: exactly yeah
2: much to the detriment of (laughs) society's. yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um should we move on to the next um yeah i
2: I think it'd be good to talk Talk about the brain itself, maybe, and the kind of neuroscience of the brain and and why the brain is so unique and why consciousness is a problem at all and why it may have arose in the first place.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, One of the things that when I was uh, doing some research for this podcast, which I will say for the people who criticize my research abilities, you have no idea how hard I tried with this one, but this is one (laughs) where intellectually I have been decimated by the information available to me. Um, I I saw a guy talking about... um, The unique bond between, like, the brain itself, um, like, chemically and neurally speaking, and the mind that it's powering, um, and how they're coupled in such a different way to, like, any other... Um, you know, coupling within even even within humans, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, yeah. It's just really, really fascinating that there's so much going on there. I mean, the fact that you can imagine anything, it, like sometimes thinking about that too much will just blow my mind, and I need to just sit down for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's just the brain is incredible. Is uh, to summarize what I was just saying.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it's the weirdest thing because. Like, it, it, the brain works on two levels. So we have, like, the brain as an objective piece of matter. A physical thing, I don't think anyone would deny that something physical is between our ears and and, and it's a brain and it's composed of neurons, etc. Most then,
0: people, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. But that's because some people don't have one, so we can't blame them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but then on top of that, there's this kind of meta-brain, which is our mind, which is kind of what the brain is doing. And it's, like, this weird thing that creates this movie... Um, that we experience and it's not just neurons firing like Every bit of transmission of energy in our brains is electrochemical everything, but we don't experience electricity We don't experience chemistry. We definitely don't experience something that's electrochemical We experience things that are full of phenomena like we experience experience sights, sounds, smells emotions We experience all these things, but these aren't electrochemical in there. Like, you, you couldn't just quantify love in terms of how many like what the amplitude is or the voltage or you know what i mean
1: no it's like like how many butterflies i felt in my stomach
2: (laughs) exactly that's literally it exactly and uh like it's it's just the weirdest thing the brain appears to do two things it appears to work on an objective electrochemical level and it appears to work on a conscious or mental level and it appears to do both things simultaneously and the conscious seems to be dependent upon the objective which kind of gets in touch with like uh, Descartes' mind-body problem, which is fascinating as well. But it's, it's it's just the weirdest thing, and it it almost makes you kind of say, in relation to artificial intelligence, if you're not dealing with an organic brain, then you're just being ignorant by ascribing consciousness to it, because the only thing that we know of that's in any way conscious is our is our brain.
1: Yeah, and there's this within the the side of or well the part of the brain or the components of the brain that make up consciousness. The artificial intelligence debate, um, the way it plays out in science fiction is that they have brains, but they don't have hearts. (laughs) So there there is this duality that I definitely feel like every single day, every decision that I make, I have a decision from my head and a decision from my heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're both coming from the same parts of the same thing, and I find that ridiculous to just... I I don't know, is it a failing of language or a failing of all of the fiction, like all the movies, all the books I've read in all my life, but I do Mm. still genuinely even believe, counterintuitively somewhat, that there is a difference between what my head thinks and what my heart thinks.
2: Well, did did you know what the Greeks thought about that? The Greeks thought that it's our heart that gives us consciousness. Mm. And they thought that the brain was just a blood cooling device. Wow. <laughs> they thought that they thought the function, like, uh, possibly not all of them, hopefully not all of them, but it was common knowledge in ancient Greece that, that, that the brain was just there to cool down the blood around it.
1: Wow. And they invented democracy. <laughs> just goes to show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But that is actually really, really interesting to know. Um, that, yeah. Like, on one hand, I'm like amazed that they knew the importance of both things like so what if they got them one way wrong or the other like whatever but then again this i mean the ancient greeks like invented like astronomy before exactly before the rest of the world knew that there were stars like exactly you'd think they should have really known more about that yeah, no, it's incredible. Like yeah,
2: and the fact that like that the fall of the Greek Empire and then it took us up until the Renaissance and like the sixteenth, seventeenth century to get back to where we were sixteen hundred years before. Like if, if the Greek Empire didn't fall, we could easily be like relatively in the year like three thousand six hundred right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we we basically lost sixteen hundred years to the dark ages, to like the burning of the books and all this, that like the, the information and knowledge they'd acquired over hundreds of years. And we just lost it all. And it took such a long time to get it all back. It was a, a, a huge tragedy.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, really. um, yeah so I, I think an, an interesting thing to talk about, I do know, just a simple thing, is the color red. And I think that kind of gives a really interesting insight into the relationship between the brain, the mind, and then kind of just an easy kind of take-home sort of, oh, shit, yeah, this is actually really complicated when you just think about the color red. Yeah. So the color red objectively, physically, is 650 nanometers, right? Roughly, I think it's a range, but you could say it's approximately that. Yet when we experience, just to imagine, the lid off a Coca-Cola bottle, which is red, that thing that you're thinking of when you think of the lid off a Coca-Cola bottle, you're not thinking of nanometers, you're not thinking of electromagnetic radiation, you're not thinking of the number 650, you're thinking of a, a, a phenomenon, like you're thinking of that particular quality of it. And like I, I, I have a lot of problem with scientists breaking down the color red into oh yeah this is a range of nanometers you know what I mean it's like yeah. you're not you're not capturing the color red at all like if, imagine if you if a blind person asked you oh, could you describe the color red to me and you're like yeah it's about 650 <laughs> nanometers I was like are you really like after capturing the color red there like do they like literally do they have any idea as to what the color red is it feels like by you just saying yeah about 650 nanometers well, maybe like, you don't think of it that way but i think
1: of all my colors
2: in <laughs> all the colors of the rainbow how,
1: how else would you describe it <laughs>
2: exactly but like it's it's just so weird um, and yeah, that, that, that they uh, and they kind of equate red with this wavelength in numerical form and it's like it's completely missing the wood for the trees you know what i mean yeah it's, absolutely you completely lost the essence of red when you talk about it in
1: numerical form it's like this really powerful color that has like spelled <laughs> like so many different fates throughout <laughs> history and humankind and they're like yeah, yeah in nanometers it's approximately I yeah mean, and yeah, it's... exactly like it's just
2: so weird and like when you think about that coke bottle as well and the lid on it like that red that you are perceiving that isn't in the lid itself that your brain is creating that and applying it to it because that's what happens when 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 the light that leaves that lid hits your eye and it's transduced electrochemically through your brain. That's what, your brain creates that color. That color isn't even nearly in the object itself, and that's what's so weird as well. Yeah, like we synonymize, so to speak, our perceptions with reality, but they're so so different. Like our brain changes real like reality in inverted commas completely. And we just basically learn to synonymize them and think that, oh, yeah, this is reality. Like, that color I see in that is there when I turn
1: the light off. But it's not. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's actually a – I used to do um a, like, video series where I played a game of FIFA and asked people to send me questions that they would like answered <laughs> because that seems like a perfectly normal thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Um but one of the questions I used to get quite regularly was, um, say, is your red the same as my red? Exactly. And I would never answer it because it's, I mean, it's a head fuck to think about, yeah. but just to try and explain that concept, like, exactly. I know uh, one of my friends used to do the same series and that's who I stole it from, but one of the questions <laughs> that he got was, what do blind people dream? Like, what yeah. happens in a blind person's dream? And he described it. Like, to his credit, in a very understandable way, at least to me, um, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that, like, a blind person, while they can't see, they still have, like, you know, the, more or less the same um, experiences that we do. And, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, emotionally, like, they hear exactly, things. Yeah. They, um, so their dreams are just those those memories, those feelings being pulled apart and whatever happens in the subconscious. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it is. They just don't see it. But, I mean, blind people still presumably see something or at least visualize something on some level. Um, I Mm. guess that's probably something that we'll never know. But even on the discussion of the color red, there's a disease, a very, very, very rare condition uh, where some people are born blind and then... Over many many years, they actually develop sight for the first time. Wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. So these people have a really really high depression and suicide rate because they've spent their whole life coming up with their own visualizations of things. Like, um, for example, like a bird in the sky, and they're told yeah. like, yeah, birds are in the sky, they fly around, whatever. Um, they're white. However, you would even describe the color white to a blind person and when they develop the ability to see they're so confused by the fact that the bird in the sky is far away and mm. then there could be another bird in front that's closer like they cannot understand that concept that's yeah, yeah. further away and the same way you could give uh, a blind person like a cube or a sphere yeah they can't tell the difference between the two because why would you be able to even if you have a full understanding of what each of them are if yeah. you've never been able to visualize them then you cannot <laughs> yeah,
2: you know? Did, that that Cuban sphere um, was actually a philosophical dilemma back in the day. Did you ever hear of the Molyneux problem?
1: Mm, I think I, I think I've seen it in the tabs on Wikipedia. I don't yeah. know if I've actually read it or not. Yeah,
2: it's really interesting. So basically, the Molyneux problem goes like this: They say, imagine someone was blind and you gave them a square and a sphere, and using their touch, they were able to differentiate. Obviously, because the square would be pointy, for instance, so it would have sides multiple sizes fear be smooth or whatever it'd be uniform and they said okay now imagine if that blind person was just automatically given sight and then without touching the objects just by looking at them would they now be able to tell them apart
1: yeah and the answer is i think we definitively know that the answer is now no do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it has been studied with the people who have the condition that I previously mentioned, which I should have looked up the name of, but I didn't think mm. I'd be
2: talking about it. I heard about
1: this about two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it like blew my mind when I was reading it. And yeah, uh, as far as I know, they have done that test and those people were not able to. OK. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And even when they're able to touch it, they still can't. OK. Because what it, I... yeah. if, if you're I mean, if you're blind, and you're told what everything is, and you've never seen anything before in your life, if you just rub your hands along the sphere and you feel that it's curved, you would think intuitively that that implies that it's a sphere. But if you have never seen, or, like, you've never correlated touch with sight before...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So can you really even differentiate? Like, how can you just know that? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, um, it,
2: it's really weird. It's really it
1: is. weird. Yeah, there's another thing um, that I think relates to the topic of the colour red, but just... The idea that the stuff that we see in English-speaking countries, um, our ability to perceive colors is quite weak compared to other cultures. Yeah. Uh, like in Russia, they have fourteen different names for the word or for the color blue. Like there's yeah, fourteen different yeah. shades, and yeah. each of them has a term ascribed to it. So we have like sky blue, navy, and blue. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Baby blue or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Light blue. Um, Whereas in Russia, they have 14 of those. So, like, a Russian person in a paint shop is at a distinct advantage there. Yeah, comparison. yeah, yeah. But that in itself is crazy. Like, because you would be able to perceive it differently if it were given a name at a young enough age, and you looked at it, and you were able to differentiate the tiny shades yeah, of
2: difference yeah, yeah.
1: between the two colors. And similarly, in Japan, they have the opposite problem, where blue and green Historically, were sort of the same color in Japan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and I have been told—I don't know if this is a hundred percent true—but in most regions of Japan, the traffic lights are actually blue instead of green because those colors are widely uh, linked together and just given the same name.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's actually really interesting because I think in two languages, I think in Gaelic Irish. And in ancient Greek, I think the colour blue was very underrepresented. I don't think blue was talked about nearly as much as we either talk about it now or as we'd assume they talk about it. I don't think Irish, like you know the way like um, like an African person would be fiar. Was it fiar? What's blue in Irish? Gurham Yeah, it was fiar Gurham I think was like an African. I think you're right. Yeah. And. I think the ancient Greeks as well didn't have a word for blue. Like, they talked about the sky, they talked about the sea. But when you think about it, like, blue doesn't crop up in nature too much.
1: No, and I think they. I think that there's actually texts that have been translated that uh, show that most, not most, but like many of the ancient civilizations that we study in the Western world referred to the sky and the sea as green.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something
1: closer to green. Similarly, I don't believe that the word orange was ever given a term or name. I think it was also lumped in with red for a long time.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so
1: things like fire and the sun um, were just red. like they were. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because orange isn't just a colour, it's a fruit, so maybe we just took orange.
1: Yeah, I would you know imagine I
2: mean? that. That's like m- maybe we came up with a word for the fruit first, and then we were like, oh, we'll, we'll call the colour the
1: same thing. I don't know. That's, I think that makes sense, because I, I had this argument with one of my friends in college about the colour orange, And he was like... I I don't know how this conversation started, but this was the question. (laughs) What came first? The name or the colour? Like, the word orange or the colour orange? And I was, like, in my really arrogant, argumentative state as a teenager. (laughs) Um, I was raised with Limp Bizkit, what do you (laughs) expect? I was just like, look, man, for fuck's sake, alright? The Grand Canyon has existed for, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of years. When the sunlight shines over that as it's going down what color is it and he was like yeah it's orange but that word wasn't invented then so they couldn't and i was like you're actually an idiot like i cannot believe that you're arguing this and now now i'm like he was probably right though (laughs)
2: except why would the word have been invented if not to describe a pre-existing color
1: yeah for sure but yeah. I think if you don't have, I mean, as proven by the fact that the Russians dominate us in the field of the color blue, <laughs> yeah. I just and, and, and
2: many more things, especially sport-wise.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and they also have a good strong leader that we're lacking. Um, <laughs> Enda Kenny could take him any Day. Yeah. <laughs> I would pay lots of money to see that happen. Um, but yeah, it's it's a strange concept to actually have argued about because my perspective of it was so strongly in the you're an idiot category yeah yeah and then the more i've learned like just that just the color red and its effect on consciousness or rather how it relates to consciousness is just a really crazy thing to actually think about Yeah. Especially when you when you bring it back to what the scientific definition of red is. It's actually. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
2: No, exactly. And like, imagine if aliens came down and and, it's kind of equivalent to the blind person and, and they didn't have certain senses we had or whatever. And we were trying to describe certain like imagine trying to describe Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in terms of amplitude decibels. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you've literally completely missed the entire point.
1: Yeah, that's I've always leaned like way more so on the philosophical slash like um, I, I guess like artistic and poetic sort of definitions of things yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah
1: they're so much more powerful to me than scientific and obviously yeah. when it comes to like the color red that's a given I think most people would agree with me on that but I don't know do you remember like years and years ago there was a an advert for Dell computers I think it was for Dell but there, there was a song in it that started with like I am green today I' don't know if you've ever heard that song <laughs> Uh, don't remember. <laughs> it, it said, I am green today, um, I chirp for joy, like the cricket song, okay. which is a nice definition of the word green. Um, and it went through all the colors and gave a definition to them, but for the color red it said, loud and messy, like finger paint on walls, <laughs> which I just think is a very, very nice, because red Ooh, is yeah. a bold color. Yeah, like, that's really it's really bold. It's like a statement, it's a powerful color, yeah. like it has connotations associated with it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some um,
2: people say that red is like um, brass instruments playing loudly.
1: Yeah, that's nice, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. it's uh, Like, I have um, a few tattoos, and all of them are a combination of red and black, because I just think it's incredibly powerful to look at. And because you want to be Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> like I well. um, yeah. No, uh, I,
2: I think as far as pairings of colors go, black and red is, is up there with, like, the best of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, Coca-Cola...
2: AC Mahan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think Shelburne is Shelburne black and red. I think they are red and white. Ah, okay. Um, Who am I thinking? Bows. Bows. Bows, Shit. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, they're red and black. (laughs) Yeah, football ignorance is shown. If you'll actually find that, uh, well, you already know this, um, but, you know, football ignorance is actually a good thing. <laughs> yeah. No, no, and I say I that as a lifelong football fan. <laughs> I wish I wasn't sometimes. <laughs> uh, which brings yeah. us to our next point, the football debate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We argue um, about who's better, Tottenham or Arsenal for the rest. <laughs> exactly. Actually, yeah, no, so there was
2: something I wanted to ask you there. Um, when you were talking about words and your example about orange, did the word orange exist before the perception of it? And I was like, have you ever heard of the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis? No. Okay, so this is really interesting, actually. So the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis states that if a word for something doesn't exist, you can't even think of the concept because your thoughts are constrained by language.
1: Ah, uh, Yes.
2: And that's what they like what um, George Orwell uh, utilized in the book 1984 when they were like cutting out words of like revolution. If you want to subdue a people, just like get rid of all the words that are synonymous with revolting and revolution and uprising and mutiny. And then they won't even be able to think of the idea of revolution because the word doesn't exist to them. It's really interesting.
1: Well, it is. The nature of language and its impact on your general like general perceptions of the world is actually phenomenal. And I think it's something that's understudied or at least misunderstood or not understood well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, on the Cracked podcast, they sort of regularly talk about this um, and the idea that there's this tribe in New Zealand And Mm. and they have been, uh, they are the same now as they were since their inception, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. they're an indigenous tribe who have been the way they are now for thousands and thousands of years. Sure. Uh, And their language doesn't differentiate between things like left and west. So, their directional sensibilities are the best in the world, out of any collective group of people, because their language... Benefits them like when it comes to actually perceiving distances and uh, directions and and stuff like that. So they don't get lost or you know they they'll never not be able to find their way somewhere because their language has helped them to perceive directions.
2: That's so cool. It's they basically got like a sixth sense for directions.
1: Yeah, completely. Yeah, it it yeah. it it's an advantage to them. It's like a superpower. Like yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's something that has just been instilled into them by something as simple as language. That's so cool. Yeah, it is. And and I think that that idea um about the um take away the word revolution, they won't know what a revolution is. Isn't that like? Isn't there a famous school of thought? I don't know. Is it from the um? I nearly said the war of art. The art of war. Um, or one of those things where if you want to enslave a people, you take away all their books and stop them reading because... Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's actually, there's a, a rapper called Akala who is from London and he has a line about that where he's like, it's well known that intelligent people will take their freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that too. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Which... Well, like it, yeah.
1: No, sorry, you go on.
2: Um, I was going to say, like, the the, the biggest... um intellectual revolution in modern history, like the Enlightenment. Their mantra was Saper Aude, which means dare to know. So like, it coincided with people questioning everything and, and intellectual honesty and integrity and just questioning everything they came across, like nothing was beyond question, nothing was beyond scrutiny. And that just paved the way for enormous advancements in, in academic uh, avenues and intellectual avenues. So I think, like, that completely makes sense, what you are saying about in the art of war, and the fact that if you want to subdue a, a people, just don't let them learn, don't let them acquire knowledge, and just basically turn them into lemmings, and they'll do what you want.
1: I actually think this is a great gateway into the discussion about hallucinogenic drugs, Yeah, because the legality of hallucinogenic drugs um, in, ultimately, the Western world, because of the way that they were treated by um, the American government, has been decided by... This sort of... I mean, to just put my conspiracy theorist hat on for a moment... um, The whole, like, Woodstock movement and the hippie movement... um, And that whole counterculture from American history... Was pretty much put on lockdown by the uh, conservatives... When they were like, well, these drugs are making people act this way... So we're going to make them all illegal... Uh, There's going to be no studying done with these drugs... No one is allowed to grow these plants in their homes
2: yeah and things like
1: that and i mean i i never like verge into uh libertarian tendencies or things like that but i do find it baffling that you can put a law down to say things like you're not allowed to grow a weed plant in your yeah stuff like that um it's it's um it's an interesting discussion because the cia conducted like uh, you know, like several um, actual conspiracies uh, where they did all these experiments on like prison inmates and and yeah, different yeah. subjects with um, drugs like and, like, and U S soldiers as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They tested caffeine really strongly on U S soldiers too, okay, um, okay. and they determined that caffeine was like this super drug, which is like <laughs> really interesting. But um, yeah, yeah. The uh, a lot of the tests done with LSD and stuff, I don't think they actually came to like many conclusions with them. I know that like several notable people um, were part of those experiments, or at least had parents who yeah, were yeah. part of those experiments and things like that. Um, but the whole discussion about hallucinogens in American culture, um, for as long as I've been alive, has just been on complete lockdown. Um, mm. And they relate to consciousness in a pretty major way, I
2: think. Yeah, exactly.
1: Most people who do strong hallucinogens will claim that it's a life changing experiments and or life a life changing experience um and that it yeah. opens up all these new avenues within their brain that they never knew were there before. And I totally I, yeah. I think that's actually a really important thing. And I'd never endorse drugs because mm-hmm. I don't really fully understand everything about them, which again is because they've never really been studied enough outside of anecdotal evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. But yeah, children, just do all the drugs. (laughs) I think LSD
2: is a unique one. Um, I was listening to a podcast there recently by, do you know Sam Harris? Uh,
1: I know the name.
2: Yeah, he's like um, an American neuroscientist slash uh, public speaker in a kind of critical thinking. He's very intellectual. He's one of the four horsemen along with Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett. He's an extremely intelligent guy.
1: Is he also like a funny guy? uh I think i I think I might have listened to his podcast once and actually found it to be quite like for someone like me who hasn't got a strong grasp on science or the scientific community, I think I found it quite accessible because of yeah yeah of humor
2: yeah he he has an amazing podcast on hallucinogens and he he basically confirms what you just said there, and he's like yeah i i I experience things in a way that's completely different to how you experience them in everyday life, and he said it opened great positive amazing doors but he said it also opened up terrible doors that made him feel like he was in hell for eternity and yeah yeah it, it, yeah, yeah so um he, he was just showing the two sides to the coin of lsd that like he could open these amazingly positive enlightening doors and he'd go to this kind of Mental Shangri-La we'd experience everything and it's amazing and he's like sometimes when he did it He was sent to hell and he said these were the worst places He's ever been to like in his life and that he he never wants to go back there But they were as real as as reality is like yeah, it just shows the two sides of the coin of LSD Yeah,
0: that's
2: really cool. interesting and just kind of like what the hell influences the trip you have I think is fascinating, you know people say it's the friends you're with it's the mood you're in Like maybe it's the quality of the drug or the purity of the drug, like who knows, I don't know.
1: It seems to be a fairly common school of thought amongst people involved in that kind of culture that a lot of bad trips are the result of um, like just inner anxiety that you're feeling at the time or bad thoughts and when you take, when you ingest a substance like that, and you have a bad thought, it's very difficult to get out of it because you know that you're about to be taken hold of by something really strong. Yeah, yeah. So when you immediately go into a bad thought and you're going into that zone, it's very, very difficult to keep it intact,
0: which yes, yeah. is the
1: one thing that kind of scares me off uh, hallucinogens. Um, but there is a drug called diomethyltryptamine. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. It's um, referred to as DMT by the kids. Um, no, I don't know what- It's the most powerful hallucinogen in the world, Um, and it's referred to as the spirit molecule, or some people refer to it as the third eye, because um, people who take it say it takes you to another dimension, Uh, and it's 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 immensely powerful. Uh, Like this is a drug that the people who take it are never the same again. No, like it's it's completely non-addictive. It's in every single substance on earth. Every plant yeah. you could grow okay, DMT okay. in grass if you wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it relates in this really interesting way to energy. Um, there's a documentary on it called Spirit Molecule, which I'd recommend people checking out if you have any interest at all in this kind of thing. Um, but there's DMT inside of everybody. Mm-hmm. It is a well-held uh, belief, or at least theory, amongst scientists. Uh, scientists that DMT is in your pineal gland, and when you fall asleep, your brain um, induces DMT, and in, your pineal gland induces uh, DMT into your brain, um, and that's what dreaming is. And when you take DMT, the chemical uh, from, like, you can smoke it or, or um, I think I think you can inject it, but I'm not sure. Um, but either way, when you do, it's supposed to be like a really, really raw and authentic dream experience where it's actually the I think it's your conscious mind that experiences it. Um, or That's like, amazing. Yeah, it, it's 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 probably the most fascinating like drug or even just sort of a you know weird countercultural symbol thing that I like yeah, to yeah. research because um, like I don't know there's always been this like recently I've started suffering from sleep paralysis. Okay. Which is, as far as I understand sleep paralysis, you're basically on the bridge between your conscious and your subconscious, which is like a nice philosophical way of describing it. Um, But that interests me so much. Like, I find the whole, like I talked earlier about um, simulated reality and how that's a really interesting theory to me. I also find the idea that this drug is a gateway to another dimension. I find that to be incredibly seductive and yeah, oh my god, totally very exotic and like very interesting to me.
2: Yeah, I've always said that. Like in (laughs) when I'm retired in my retirement home, I want to try every drug under the (laughs) sun. You know? Like,
1: fuck it, like... I actually... I don't even want to, like, be retired and then find <laughs> out that, like, yeah. actually all this time I should have been doing LSD and I would have <laughs> figured out, like, all of the stuff I needed to know about myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. a lot of people who do strong hallucinogens will tell you that they saw themselves in a different way. and Because, yeah. and like, Steve Jobs has done lots of them. I, I, I kind of think he's, like, a bad example, maybe, because... He talks a lot of, well, talked a lot of shit uh, mm. and sort of said a lot of, like, pretentious things that have later turned out to kind of be spiteful jabs at other people and things like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But um, it's just interesting that so many influential people have been like, oh, yeah, I did LSD and <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, 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 totally. No, I, I wonder
2: what um, you said like DMT and its influence on the pineal gland and stuff like that. I wonder then if they went to like sleep normally, would it affect their dreams? Like would they dream less because like it's been hyper stimulated by this drug and, and now it's like it needs like the same hit in order to dream again?
1: I don't think there's any. I haven't read anything like that. Um, yeah, I haven't read because basically it's a trip that wears off after like 10. minutes.
0: OK, cool, so, cool, um, cool. Um,
1: from what I understand, it's pretty much just, it's that, it's a 10 minute hit and that's it. There's no, um, (laughs) there's no negative consequences at all kids. Um, (laughs) no, but it's like, it's non-addictive and I mean, I'm sure pretty much every drug or hallucinogen can, can help to speed up the process of if you have like a proneness or uh, a genetic tendency to develop. Uh, you know, personality yeah. disorders or things like that. I'm sure yeah. drugs are not a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, if you have any
2: mental health problems, like it can really yeah yeah mess you up a bit. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. There is a huge correlation between heavy drug use and mental disorders.
2: Yeah, and a lot of the people say that they're actually trying to like st- like treat themselves with these. Dr- it's not so much perhaps that the drugs are causing the mental health problems, but because their mental health problems are so bad that they're exactly. maybe just trying to treat themselves.
1: Yeah, there's you know like a very very small percentage of people who do heroin actually become addicted to it. Okay. It's some it's it's like I'm pretty sure it's under thirty percent of people who actually try heroin. Yeah, and, yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. And,
1: um, and this I think if you do heroin once, you have something like, um, I think it's a thirty-three percent chance of doing it again in the next like six years or something like that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Those figures are definitely wrong. Um, you know when you read figures and statistics Oh yeah, yeah. They just leave your head So Exactly Basically yeah. if you do heroin once You'll never do it again for a thousand years <laughs> Yeah like Who the hell likes full body orgasms Yeah no, Nobody at all Yeah, Who, needs, just keep... who, who needs to find the meaning in every drop of Exactly.
2: <laughs> I'm yeah. just happy enough with that. You know when you like rub your hand on your knee with your nails and get like what's that, like a quarter orgasm?
0: Oh yeah.
1: I just do that like fifty times and it's amazing. I used all that up when I was like sixteen and now I don't get it anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> used I, it all
1: up. I'm digging into my into my knee all the time and there's just nothing there. God damn it.
2: Yeah shit. That's terrible. Sure, I, I get like my fix every day. I just make sure I don't do it too much.
1: Yeah, see you're one of the lucky ones.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm in that thirteen percent. (laughs) (laughs)
2: like yeah remember people in primary school used to just come up to you and just do it like yeah that was really weird when you think about it yeah it's like let me give you an orgasm (laughs) (laughs) you you don't even have to say yes can you imagine that happening now no i can't kids would be expelled
1: (laughs) yeah that's true they definitely would although (laughs) nowadays (laughs) liberals running the world that's probably encouraged (laughs)
2: Right, yeah,
1: now they're teaching sex to our kids, and stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, it took me twenty two years to find out a stork wasn't going to drop something down my chimney,
1: oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I feel we have veered sufficiently off topic we have we yeah. have i I don't know was there more to be said about hallucinogens, um, yeah, yeah, because they do relate to consciousness in a strong way, and they they do Definitely. change the way you perceive yourself and your outward like understanding of the world around you can change and i think that that's something that's incredibly powerful and something that we should be giving a little bit more uh yeah credence to because totally. the drug system in america
2: is yeah the, the war on drugs is a, is so futile yeah it's a farce it's it's, it's a farce yeah it's it's not like it, it it makes you wonder though like what the incentive is to keep doing it like uh, cuz like it must be more expensive than it is uh like it, than it than the money it generates
1: See, that's the thing, like, I think that each culture, um, like, or each subculture, rather, would be a better term, they all develop their own sort of, um, like, hive-minded opinion of certain things, like, I know a lot of stoners, like, stoner culture is a culture I'm very, very familiar with, and they'll all tell you things about how like, it's, it's ridiculous that alcohol is legal and weed isn't, and it's the government, and yeah. they just don't want you thinking on the same level as other people. Like, they, weed heightens all your senses, it makes you better at everything, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what stoners tend to believe, like, not as oppressive and, and like, yeah, yeah. what I've just said, but that's a, that is a general consensus amongst stoners, whereas yeah. in reality, like, there's lots of sort of racial connotations and different things like that as to why it's or why it was illegal rather for so long Mm -hmm. with other drugs like I I don't know how to put this in a really like obvious way but I work in a bank and you would imagine that a bank would have all of these incredible like uh, safety features and lockdown procedures and all stuff like that and for the most part like it's very on point. All of the procedures are easy to follow. But in a lot of ways, like, there's idiots who work in the bank, too. And mm-hmm. there's idiots who make mistakes who work in banks. Like, you realize that everywhere you go, that in every job you have, that, like, not everyone who does that job is at the standard that you would imagine a person. Yeah, with. totally. Totally. And that is no different. In fact, I would argue that it is especially true of high-ranking government officials. Oh, my God, especially. Because they're so far removed from reality. They have like assistants who do everything for them. They don't actually have the time to study things that are important to them or should be important to them because they have so much like paperwork and admin and uh, delegation and all things like that. So I honestly just think that they never addressed it because they have other things... And not even, like, particularly well-meaning things to do.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. they
1: just have... Like, that's the nature of government, you know? They get a totally. budget, they're only allowed to allocate it in certain... Regions. And, they don't
2: even, and they don't even have to adhere to, like, their promises and their manifesto.
1: Yeah, completely, yeah. That, like,
2: I, I think that the fact that it's a re-election every four years, so all they have to worry about is four years down the line, not 40 exactly. years down the line, so they make yeah. no good long-term decisions because all they're worried about is re-election, like like, that isn't conducive to a good society, this whole four-year re-election thing. I I, I've actually thought of, like, imagine this was imposed, that any kind of party that creates a manifesto, you'd measure it in terms of what percentage of it they adhere to, and if they don't adhere to a sufficient percentage, then it's a hung government and they're taken out and there's a re-election.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I I don't know why that isn't already a thing. Exactly, exactly. Um, Because so many, like, government officials and like they do get elected off the back of false promises. oh completely like that so and
2: and there's no recourse for the person who actually voted them in based on those promises which weren't false promises at the time but they turned out to be there's no recourse to actually hold them accountable and that's like absolutely like that's the reason they were voted in was because of those
1: yeah exactly and then they
2: don't uphold them it's
1: just ridiculous that's the thing like you could have a guy in america right now who says all right look Vote for me, and all of the drugs will be legal. Um, yeah. Or rather, like like realistically, all the drugs will be decriminalized, much like yeah, the Portuguese yeah. uh, legal system. Yeah, yeah. And then that guy gets into power, and that is just not fucking happening. <laughs> like exactly, he's never going to be able to make that
2: happen. Yeah, so but but there's no even true incentive to making it happen because there's no responsibility or recourse if he doesn't. Do yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, Like sure, the people will be upset, but then he just throws them a few tax cuts and
1: yeah, well, a few I try. there. Yeah, and
2: just like oh yeah, th- throw the the seals a few fish and watch them like clap their fucking flippers or whatever. Yeah,
1: completely. Yeah, you know
2: what I mean. Like it's just terrible. But I, I really despise both the four-year re-election because there's no long-term planning and the fact that they don't have to adhere to their manifesto to any degree. Like they could literally just like burn it to shreds. And then just fucking leave it at that and sure, Asher oh, sure, will do what we, we want to do now. And there's no recourse for the, the, the voter.
1: Yeah, like short-term planning. um, And this is like the last I'll say on it because we should probably move back to the topic. But <laughs> yeah. <We're> short-term planning... <laughs> I genuinely believe will lead to the downfall of civilization, and I think we're in a really good place as a society, in most senses. I mean, in terms of the the statistical, like, you know, I say this a lot on this podcast because I cannot stress it enough because I hate the fear-mongering, but, like, violent crime is down. Like, everything is down. Like, traffic accidents, like, overdose deaths, like, all of those types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't plan ahead, and we're still so afraid, and we're gonna burst this bubble and mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. die out in a fiery haze. Of viciousness. <laughs> It'll be glorious. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, it, it will be. It will be insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah ultimately um, I guess that's what it was with the drug policy was, was it Ronald Reagan I think it was Reagan or maybe Nixon
2: I think Clinton uh, Bill Clinton enacted some crazy laws that put like the three strikes you're out I think that was under his administration yeah I think and that right. saw the incarceration of a load of African Americans for petty crimes and petty drug crimes that locked them up for considerably long sentences yeah and it's disgraceful and then like you also have the like penitentiary system of like prisoners for profit which is just a school yeah
1: actual slavery like, yeah like it's, it's
2: making money off the fact that people and, and then you just know that the police are getting handouts from that to get more people and then there's like just like even if it's done by the book that doesn't mean the book is right you know yeah so, exactly
1: yeah it, yeah. It, yeah it is i actually think um if you'd be interested in coming back on the podcast i think we have like lots of topics that would make for really interesting discussions yeah
2: definitely yeah i'd love to
1: um but the the whole like drug policy in America is a little bit nuts. Like not saying legalize heroin, but just like study like these like these hallucinogens yeah. clearly have like I just very important implications for the self. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which would this be a good time to talk about? Like, do you have an answer for when people say why talk about consciousness? Like, why try to understand it? Um, yeah, um, because there are plenty of people who just don't want to delve yeah. in there. Like they just don't want to. Yeah, be... yeah.
2: Like I, I think considering the fact that okay, we have to assume we're all conscious, but I think like if you're denying it, I think it's a pretty farcical denial. Okay. So if if we, if we take it that we're all conscious, then I think it's extremely intellectually dishonest to sort of say that it's not worth talking about.
1: Yeah, I agree. You
2: know what I mean? And not only that though, but if you're going to say that something else is more worth doing, the fact that something else is worth doing at all is because you're a conscious sentient being, Yeah. in which case then your initial argument is invalid and you're kind of upholding the fact that we should talk about consciousness because there is something about it that makes things intrinsically valuable and worthwhile
1: yeah it's every time like it comes back to the definition of consciousness i get a tiny bit blown away yeah even though like it obviously it's something that i've been aware of and like actively have been puzzled by and struggled with it's still it, it still excites me to just think that i am just this thing that's piloting a vehicle through, exactly through yeah. a rock that's flying through space that's
2: yeah it's not no, totally it's it's the weirdest thing and what i think makes it even weirder is the fact that we don't need to be conscious to have done everything we've done like if you think about it if we take the robot example and we say the chinese room experiment does kind of prove that it's it's not conscious just because it can do incredible things like we could easily be robots doing everything we're doing day to day, going to work, doing this, that, and the other, creating things, researching things without being like, we don't need to be conscious.
1: It's, it's, it's weird. It's even, really... We can do a lot when we're not conscious. Like, exactly. We can sleepwalk. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but even
2: even those times you zone out and you're driving and you've no recollection of the last 30 seconds of what you've done. You yes. weren't conscious. But some, you know what I mean? Yes. Like you don't need to be conscious to do complex tasks. The fact that we're conscious at all, I think the only argument for something that's supernatural, and I say this as a devout atheist pearlist or whatever, is consciousness. I think it's something that science just can't tap into because it's in a different ontological realm. Science deals with the objective and the reproducible and consciousness deals with something that's subjective, a different ontological reality. And I think that it's just the weirdest thing that we're conscious at all. And I think it's almost quasi-supernatural.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's it's the reason why I, I can never just... Like, properly say, like, all right, religion is bullshit, is because, yeah. like, how can you, if if we are now, the fact that we exist at all, The fa- I mean, even, like, evolution, evolutionarily speaking, the fact that we have arrived at this point yeah. being as conscious and sentient as we are, like, I, I know you've literally just said that you're an atheist, but, like, I just cannot deny people the ability to be like yeah absolutely this was made by a thing or whatever yeah but, but
2: like as i say like even if i'm saying i'm an atheist that's only through my experience yeah for I'm sure atheist.
1: yeah and i know you meant yeah. that way too which yeah, is why yeah. i i wouldn't have <laughs> i wouldn't have bridged into it after you saying yeah you're an atheist and me saying well listen here <laughs> yeah 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 But um yeah it's it's just um I, yeah i i can't really it's just a mind equals blown
2: type. yeah field. totally um,
1: yeah no,
2: it's just so weird
1: so to do you want to talk about solipsism a little bit yeah yeah
2: okay this i think is, this is
1: yeah just to um just to say about solipsism is is the idea that you are the only thing that actually exists yeah um and again when i was 6 years old i had this thought to myself like and i can remember also just what if i'm the only like what if they don't exist at all like what if they're like um you know the force ghosts in star wars like <laughs> I, what if what if everybody else is just one of those um, <laughs> which I, th- I think is a really like sort of powerful feeling yeah. having as such a young child but yeah. i do remember being like having an actual like like miniature moment of existentialism or yeah, like, yeah, existential yeah. dread just not being able to quite put my finger on what that was either um, yeah yeah totally I think I had a what we can take away from this podcast is I had a weird childhood <laughs> very in touch with yourself but um yeah solipsism is something that has always fascinated me too like I I've always felt like it would be crazy to be solipsistic but I also feel like I've had my foot in that door before so I do understand what it would be like yeah to some degree
2: yeah like intuitively when we go about our daily activities we see other people also going about their daily activities, so we just infer that these are also conscious people like ourselves, but like they could be automatons, you know what I mean? This could be like kind of a big ruse, you know, what I mean, Allah, the Truman show where we're the only yeah. person in our own world. And these are like just robots or, you know what I mean? Like, we, there's no way. There's no way yet to determine if somebody's conscious. Like we can determine they have a brain and the brain is doing stuff in the same way that a computer processor is doing stuff. But we've no way of actually knowing whether that is imbuing them with consciousness. And, and, And that's just sort of a weird, like it's such a leap of faith to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to assume you're just conscious just like me.
1: Yeah, and they have had every few years somebody commits a crime, and solipsism is their defense, and they get put into, like, a mental health institution instead mm. of a prison, um, mm. which I, I don't know how many of those are disingenuous cases of, you know, people yeah, who yeah, they, yeah. They try to get out of a crime, but I would imagine that would be in the minority, because of the fact that it must be very hard to, like, definitively determine whether or not that person's telling the truth, so I, I think if you come across a solipsistic person who has committed a crime, it's probably pretty easy to tell that
2: they're legit, if you know what I mean. And do these people think that they've created the entire world, that they're like God in their world?
1: Yeah, I think, like, from what I can recall from my six-year-old self, Mm -hmm. definitely not. Mm -hmm. It was more that it was like a Matrix-type scenario. Okay. Um, but that's based on nothing i mean like for all i know i didn't really think that when i was six my brain has just told me that i did you know what i mean like, like yeah yeah i yeah. don't trust my childhood memories for anything but yeah uh, there's yeah. some semblance of a feeling in there somewhere that yeah I, that
2: yeah I pull out.
1: um but from my the best of my knowledge um like a, about solipsism it's not that they think that they're the one that rules it it's that they think that they're like
2: The only one.
1: Yeah, they're not necessarily trapped in it, but they are participating in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I think is... It's not even that far away from what it's like to understand your own consciousness. It's just sort of a... Like, I can kind of almost sympathize, or at least see how someone could get there.
2: Yeah. Like, it is. It's a logical conclusion.
1: Yeah, for sure. It
2: is. But it just isn't conducive to a functioning society yeah at all.
1: Exactly. yeah yeah that's actually yeah there's a huge philosophical school of thought about that like the prisoner's dilemma and just like yeah even just yeah. numerous other sort of things like why are people good is is that a thing that is like uh, intuitively because it's probably not it's taught down from like I, I think that's probably why religion was uh, popularized by governments in the first place was, here's the commandments, you better obey all of these things. Yeah, it was a control mechanism, basically. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah. A really successful one, too, in terms of how yeah. far we've come as a society. Definitely.
2: Um, I'm... Like, it doesn't... Sorry, what? No, you go. I was going to say, like, it, it doesn't seem like we've found a better way to make good people do bad things than to say, well, you know, the Holy Book says do it.
1: That's what I was going to say, uh, yeah. was that I, I've actually read some things that Sort of point to this: as we get less religious, we get worse as a society. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily in terms of crime, because as I pointed out earlier, crime is actually we're doing pretty well in that sense. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. In
1: terms of other like just things like narcissism and greed, and yeah, uh, those were things that were previously kept in check by religion and the fear of God, whereas now they're not. So people, yeah,
2: just... they're kind of embellished now, nearly.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I would say that in this era I'm noticing way more that it's actually it's just so much more acceptable to quote unquote sell out nowadays yeah um, because like I just remember being younger and like so many bands I would like you know they did the whole sell out thing and people would go crazy whereas now I feel like people are way more behind that and people are so yeah. much more willing to or so much more accepting to the fact that well they're doing this for the money
2: <laughs> obviously yeah why wouldn't they
1: yeah which yeah.
2: is interesting yeah it is um,
1: but I, yeah, I suppose that again is veering away from uh, from consciousness. Um,
2: yeah, and I also think it's a strange thing as well. Like um, when we're nice to people, like when we're say putatively selfless in relation to other people, like when we give like money that we've earned and we like give it to a poor person, a homeless person on the street, like we're literally um, negating some of the the positive value of ourselves for the benefit of someone else. But it feels good, you know what I mean? It's it's a strange thing that it feels good to be selfless. Yeah, then that obviously begs the question that is it really selfless if you're getting something out of it, i.e. if you're feeling good. But just the fact that like altruism, like as far as we we talk about it, like it, it feels nice. Like I mean, we feel good about doing it because like if you think about like uh, Darwin, survival of the fittest, surely it's counter survival to give a portion of your food to someone else when you're trying to survive and pass on your DNA and mate and have progeny. But it feel it still feel you know what I mean. It still feels good to be nice. It's just it's, yeah. it's a very strange thing.
1: But is there an argument there too that you're giving something to a fellow human to maybe to strengthen the species? Like I don't know.
2: Yeah. But, but like you could also argue then that that human is your competition when it comes to finding a suitable mate. True.
1: Yeah, I, yeah that does tie way more into survival of the fittest, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's it's just funny it, like it it, it it it's a lovely part of human nature, you know. It's a very heartwarming and and the fact that it exists but that it exists is kind of strange i think I, I i think have you ever heard of or read the selfish gene by richard dawkins
1: i've heard of it uh I, yeah i i have i've listened to a podcast about it but I've yeah, yeah
2: it's really good he kind of goes into that the fact that by being nice to each other it actually promoted survival and kind of close-knit hunter-gatherer groups and we were actually better able to survive and so the ones who were nice and sociable and affable were more uh capable of having kind of a successful tribe and passing on their DNA than ones who were just looking out for themselves. And then when something happened to them, they would no one to look after them. And so they died out, yeah. which just kind of an interesting take on a, like it seems kind of paradoxical that we would be selfless in an, from an evolutionary perspective.
1: For sure. And I, I actually noticed that nowadays there are so many, of these stories of altruism that make like the you know the front page on BuzzFeed or yeah you know, it yeah, comes yeah. up on your Facebook link but what i've also noticed is this huge counter movement to that where it's like just the cynicism is like amplified so much on the internet yeah and i wonder is there going to be a point in the near future where there's sort of um a real disassociation with altruism from yeah. because i feel like greed and just the idea that we are actually all in it for the money i feel like that is um, becoming really pervasive now yeah, where before yeah. it was suppressed by at least the lie or the comfort that i did it for the money but i needed it to feed my my family yeah 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 where yeah, yeah. now it's just so everyone is just so cynical like if i, I don't know if you remember that story of the guy who um, he owned a company and he took a pay cut, so he would only be getting $70,000 a year. Yeah, was, like, yeah. So there was some backstory to that, which apparently he asked for the raise from his brother uh, with whom he co-owned the website and his brother hmm. wouldn't do it. And the only thing that he could do within his power to stop his brother from taking all the money was... And I don't know how true that is, but it was uh, yeah. it was well circulated at the time.
2: Yeah, like to be honest, that was nearly too good to be true, I Yeah, yeah like, it was. It it seemed like he had some ulterior motive.
1: But don't you feel like if you were in his position, you would absolutely do that because $70,000 a year is fine? <laughs>
2: yeah, and it was actually based on um, economics. E- economists have charted people's happiness as a means of income, and they found that happiness actually does increase with income, but it actually levels off at seventy to $75,000 a year.
1: Wow. That's
2: and people don't get happier after that point, but up to that point, they do get happier as a function of income. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, that is actually really interesting.
2: So, if, for instance, someone who's on twenty-five thousand a year is less happy than someone on fifty thousand a year, who is less happy than someone on seventy-five thousand a year. But that seventy-five thousand a year person is roughly as happy as someone on a hundred or a hundred and twenty-five, etc.
1: Yeah, because I guess once you get to that level, you're eating the same food in restaurants. Yeah, to, yeah. You are like you've reached that point where exactly like food and just dining out and all of the things that you would do to show how rich you are—they kind of level out, with the exception yeah. things like Bentleys and Lear jets and yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but those people make up such a small minority; they probably didn't even feature in the you know in the sure. research.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's actually. um the relationship between consciousness and happiness is is kind of interesting because everyone has this sort of desire to be happier at least yeah. it's almost an expectation that they're yeah, going yeah. to be happy and then when that doesn't happen people get really really like sad and
2: it, exactly it, yeah people think that happiness is something that comes to them like uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Like or, or, I do as
2: well. Like, yeah, you're waiting for the next stage to happen and you're like, oh, I'll be happy then. No, I'll be yeah, happy it's, then. Yeah, it's the
1: idea that happiness is this attainable long-term place you're going to be.
2: But exactly. it's not.
1: It, it's a moment and it's...
2: Yeah, it's enjoying the ride as it's happening as opposed to getting yeah. somewhere on the ride. Like, you know what I mean? Arriving, if you don't arrive somewhere happy, you you have to find a way to be happy doing just the day-to-day stuff. People seem to think that it's an it's an end point and not a means.
1: Yeah, exactly. We actually did an episode recently about hype. Um, yeah, and I kind of said throughout the episode that I'm so much happier when I'm looking forward to a thing than I am when I have the thing. Like, oh yeah, like yeah, new albums and movies and stuff like like watching the trailer or hearing that first single off the album. Yeah, totally. Like when you see the cover art and the track listing and you're like, this is going to be the most yeah cohesive. Like, we're just well pieced together, thematic structure. Totally. And then you're like, ah, six out of ten when it comes out. Yeah.
2: But, like, going back to childhood, like, I think Christmas is the perfect example of that. Like, you think about Christmas Eve and how amazing that is, and the expectation and the build up, and oh my God, tomorrow's Christmas going to be the best thing, and then tomorrow comes. And it's sort of, in a way, just feels like a normal day. Like, okay, you have the turkey and ham, you have your presents and stuff, but in a way, your presents don't match your expectations either.
1: And yeah and the... it's all yeah. like you get so many presents as well that you don't really know what
0: to do. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like Christmas Eve to me was always like the best day because there was just so much kind of optimism and you also can't ruin something that hasn't happened yet so christmas is this kind of perfect thing that's going to happen tomorrow and nothing bad can happen and but then when it happens it's 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 victim to reality where things go wrong and people are unhappy and fights break out and stuff like that you know what yeah I mean?
1: for, people are going to be listening to this and they're going to be like what the fuck did you guys get for christmas <laughs> yeah christmas is awesome but no like i you're talking about like a really specific level of happiness that I can completely relate to. And it's not to say that Christmas is bad. It's that just at least, I guess, subjectively in, I would say, both of our cases, you're less happy on Christmas Day than you are on Christmas Eve. And it's not that you're sad on Christmas Day. It's just that yeah. nothing matches that the the happiness of expectation. and like Reality. Say, yeah.
2: Reality always has to be imperfect. But I think expectations can be some sort of. Shangri-La, or some sort of like complete, optimistic, perfect world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah, it's, it's I don't know.
1: Um <laughs> Should we talk about animal consciousness? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> to to, to, to uh, that's a really <laughs> nice segue. I did. Yeah. 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 From. Do, behaving, do reindeers
2: experience consciousness? <laughs> from behaving like animals at the Christmas dinner table uh, to nice.
1: animal consciousness. From yeah. behaving. Um, as animals while we eat animals yeah yeah but they taste so good yeah but do they feel it
2: <laughs> <laughs> i actually think that uh it's it is immoral or unethical to eat animal but i can't help it and i'm
1: like, yeah I'm... man there's a huge uh huge movement within society that these vegans are bad um, yeah. Vegans are all women with short hair. They dress like boys. They have ears. with feminists. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's nothing more dangerous on the internet than a feminist or a vegan. With the, like, <laughs> it's it's really I find it really interesting that there's these um th- these schools of people on the internet who are like widely regarded to be like amongst the most annoying people like on there. And there's like there's feminists and vegans. And then yeah. on the other side there's like atheists who have like come in there as being the worst people. Like yeah. they actively seek out arguments with religious people and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um it's 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 crazy. Like they're both on the opposite sides of the coin mostly, because yeah, I think yeah. just in the um subcultures that they tend to hang out in, there's no overlap whatsoever. So they Yeah they end up but I think veganism like I I could never ever do it. Um, yeah. And I think people coming up to me and telling me that what I'm doing is immoral, like, I don't care for that at all. Like, don't yeah. preach to me, I don't need it. Yeah, um, yeah. But veganism makes sense to me as, as a moral choice. Definitely. Like, I, I think it's, it's quite progressive. And I really applaud people who have that discipline and just that passion to believe in it so strongly that they won't eat even things that were made with... You know, things that were made while an animal was looking at it being made. And, yeah,
2: animal products like milk and cheese. Yeah. and Yeah, no, like, I, I definitely think it is the, the ethical choice. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and, like, I, I'd love there to come a day where they can grow burgers in the lab and you can have it then, or, you know what I mean, where there's yeah, no animal suffering.
1: They did one a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently it didn't taste great, though.
2: Yeah, because I don't think, I think it was just pure protein. I don't think it had any fat. And my yeah. like fat is like what makes it kind of tasty. <laughs> fat, yeah. But um, yeah. But I just, even though I know it's ethic or I feel it's ethically wrong to eat it, I just can't help it. Like, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. There,
1: it's. But do you think that that comes down to um, just like lack of discipline or? Because I, I say this because um, I really, really strongly believe that we understand ultimately nothing about the nature of addiction and what addiction actually is. Mm. Um, when we think of addiction, we think of vices and things like cigarettes and, um, you know, alcohol or whatever. We don't think of things like, you know, like Doritos and... Oh, yeah. Like, we don't think of stuff like that. And I just Facebook, that... Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah like, Facebook. fucking
2: hell. Like, who knows what like kids are going to be like in 20, 30 years. Like, you know what I mean? It's it. I think I saw an article there recently in uh, some really good medical website in the U S and they were saying that it's a internet addiction is associated with a whole load of problems in kids like yeah. with me- mental health and stuff. And, yeah, like you can be addicted to anything, anything that feels rewarding. And like once you can't not do it or once you feel compelled to do it and you can't stop yourself, like, yeah. like that, that, that's addiction.
1: So that's the point. Um, I, um, I had surgery last year mm. and um, during the recovery, um, I was on these really strong painkillers. Uh, actually, they're tramadol. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah it's an opi- opioid. Yeah, exactly. It's great. It's one of my favorite <laughs> drug experiences because just, I have I have difficulty sleeping all the time, um, but they were great. Um, yeah. But while I was on those drugs um, and going through all of that sort of numbness, I decided to give up smoking because I knew the withdrawals couldn't be any worse than how I was feeling. Yeah. So I did it and I haven't smoked since then. And Ooh. it's... Like, that's one instance of me being like, all right, I'm going to actively give up this thing. And I still miss smoking every single day. Yeah. Um, And two weeks ago, I gave... Well, I didn't give up caffeine, but I decided to stop drinking a can of Coke every day because there's no way that that's good for you whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't even want to imagine what all that caffeine is doing to my brain every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I've stopped, and now I only drink water. um, Nice. I'll I'll have a beer... Uh, once every week in the middle of the week, and then a lot at the weekend. But that's a whole nother thing. That yeah, I mean. oh, <laughs> um, but like sure. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it it's so difficult to not drink coke for me, even though like I <laughs> feel so much better. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have the drowsiness I don't wake up in the middle of the night in fact my sleeps for the last two weeks have been amazing so cool <laughs> yeah so I, I wonder like the whole idea of not you just couldn't do it ultimately yeah. it comes down to you kind of just that you don't really believe in it strongly enough I don't even know if it's an intellectual thing I think that like
2: I, I think it kind of supersedes that oh really? yeah Like, I think you could intellectualize your addiction and be like, yeah, I can rationalize. I need to stop it. And I completely understand all the problems associated with it. But I still think there's something there that no matter how well you understand your addiction and want to give it up and know why it's bad. Like, smokers know that it's terrible for them. Oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, with with, like, veganism is kind of different because I don't Mm. think there are too many. I get. Yeah. I I suppose I've kind of contradicted myself there by saying that um because like i i would never like shame someone for being fat or like mm-hmm. i used to do it all the time but the more i've learned about addiction the more i've learned that yeah
2: it, like
1: they're medicating something
2: yeah with food but, and. but but not only that though like when you think about obesity it's literally a vicious cycle so you put on weight then you find it harder to move around so then you're putting on more weight which makes it harder to move around yeah like you need to move around more to lose the weight, but you can't because you're putting on weight. So it literally just keeps getting worse and worse. And once you like, once anything is a vicious cycle, it's so hard to reverse.
1: Yeah, completely. I, yeah. I think I think we're gonna learn a lot more about addiction in the next like twenty years to the point. Yeah. Kind of because I I just we definitely don't know enough about it. Like we know that smoking is bad, and that's kind of as far as we've gotten in the last fifteen years or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, the. I guess animal consciousness is something that we have not even... <laughs> yeah. So do you, th- do you think animals are conscious? Um, so I did a little bit of research into this and mm-hmm. discovered that there is um, a part of your brain that gives you things like memories. Um, sort the of,
2: hippocampus. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. you get memories, you develop an understanding of language somewhat, um, you become like more aware of your surroundings, Like just little things like that. Mm. And I know that dogs have that, um, but obviously we know that because you can train a dog to do something and a dog will remember the last time you scraped stuff off a plate into the bin, he knew he was getting <laughs> something, so he'll come out. Um, I kind of like, like, I think that that is enough to make him conscious.
2: Isn't that though sort of like, uh,
1: uh, the Turing test,
2: an animal Turing test. Yeah. That's yeah. What gonna say. yeah. Yeah.
1: But it I mean, feels more genuine, doesn't it? Because you're seeing an actual organism. Like you're seeing a, a collection sure. of like you know you're seeing like a furry piece of <laughs> bone structure and <laughs> yeah. like that. It just feels more like c- cute little puppy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it that's I get what well, that's just like an intuitive interpretation, I suppose. Like yeah. it must yeah, be not just yeah. because it's something that we relate to on such a strong level
2: totally and like some like they say like the eye is the gateway to the soul like i've looked in my dog's eyes sometimes and and like they're basically saying like i know you're looking at me yeah like you know what i mean like it's it's crazy and they just stare at you and they're looking in your eye as well like if you think about it your eyes are just an arbitrary part of your face, you know what I mean? like they may as well be looking at your nose, your mouth, like your mouth moves when you talk to them, like surely they'd stare at that, but no, like dogs look you in the eye, which is yeah, really they... weird
1: i i I can wink at my dog, and he'll wink back, no way, yeah, yeah, and and my dog can't you know my dog, he can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you poke it in the eye, don't you when you <laughs> <Yeah. show. laughs>
2: look, it's doing it again. <laughs> yeah um okay so what if we apply though the solipsism if we agreed earlier that we can't prove other humans are conscious how do we traverse the gap with animals
1: yeah i guess i guess it's it's down solely to interpretation isn't it in and yeah, yeah. like i i think i just think that dogs experience consciousness okay here here's um something right when a dog is asleep and its legs move because it's walking <laughs> and it's having a dream yeah. Therefore, it has a subconscious. Therefore, no. I'm just kidding. I would never go on that. But like, no. I think I think that's I think that's pretty good. Like, I think that's
2: literally really good reason to think they're conscious. Yeah.
1: I because, mean, it, it, yeah. To me, it says that they have enough in them yeah. to be conscious. But it, but but it
2: says it, or it shows that they can perceive things without uh, being clued into external reality. Like they can create their own perceptions and their own dreams, you know what I mean? Which is essentially what consciousness endows you with, imbues you with.
1: Yeah, I shouldn't have backed out of that. I should have gone yeah, all out uh,
2: there. Shit, you, uh, yeah. What, what, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you hit a home run and then you just kind of like dropped your bat and, uh, <laughs> walked, and walked out of the stadium. <laughs> it fell over. <laughs> yeah, you, you took out your phone and you started texting. You <laughs> <want> to... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that
1: it, I just, yeah, and I think cats probably do too. But, yeah, but... I th- I, th- I think cats are a little bit less.
2: I don't know how to put this. I think cats are a little bit more. Say, kind of like
1: lizard or like more. They're more robotic and they are. More, they act more like they're programmed. They don't yeah. like they. They definitely don't seem to actually no make their own decisions but i think that's the beauty of cats
2: yeah me too me too yeah i was talking about about that to someone there recently and like yeah they're just incredible animals because they just go on instinct and
1: they don't give a fuck yeah like they're so badass like yeah they're just the ultimate like they're just the coolest yeah
2: and like they could be playing with you one minute and then they'd get bored so they just like scratch you and just run away Yeah, yeah. yeah like dogs would never do that like and it's funny um, when you see dogs and cats playing dogs getting its head baited off it like and it's just taking it because yeah the cat were,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's really funny no big time um, but, um yeah. I, i'd still say i just <laughs> because they're a four-legged little <laughs> approximately the size of a dog <laughs> They probably experience consciousness. When I was a kid, I used to
2: think that dogs were boys and cats were girls. And, <laughs> oh, were, and no. they were the same species.
1: <laughs> I'll actually, to be honest, I used to think the same with lions and tigers. Oh, lions cute. were the boys and tigers were
2: the <laughs> Actually, I saw this really cool thing about lions there uh, recently. It was um, was a, a pride of lions and it lost its, its male. And so one of the women started to grow a mane. No. One of the, yeah, one of the lionesses started to grow a mane. That's crazy. Like, so weird. And, like, do you remember Jurassic Park when they only used female frog DNA, but some African frogs have been known to change their sex? Yeah. Yes. Like, you'd think, okay, that's possible in like on the amphibian level, like the small, small animal level, but to happen in, like, uh,
1: an animal the size of a lion is crazy. By the way, side note um, about Jurassic Park, that concept of the females um, like changing because life finds a way is Mm. when Jeff Goldblum gets on the helicopter to fly out to Jurassic Park and he goes to put his seatbelt on and you know the way with a seatbelt you have the buckle and two things and he puts them together and he goes yeah
2: he found a way yeah he tied it down life finds a way that's genius foreshadowing. It I is. never got that.
1: Yeah, so good. I, I um, watched Jurassic Park about three years ago with one of my friends <gasps> on Skype. And he was the Titian. So, like, Chaos yeah. Theory making... Yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry, go on. Exactly. Yeah, no, I watched it, and I picked that out, and I was like, oh, my God!
2: <laughs> no, fuck off. You, did, you didn't pick that out.
1: I did. I picked that out, Genius. Yeah. I've Genius. No, but in fairness, I, I, over the last, like, five years, I have been on a crusade to find... <laughs> like, I, I've been trying so hard to, like, just... I, I, I study film, like... And that's a lie I don't study film at all but when I watch films I study them like every single layer and I try to like find the metaphors and like everything mm, like that. Mm, mm. It's, yeah it's when I watched them um, 10 Cloverfield Lane I, I was like yeah that this is definitely just an allegory for domestic abuse or whatever okay I've never seen it it's 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 quite good but when I yeah. came out of the movie well, when it was sort of getting towards the end and all, I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then, like, came out, read it online, I was like, yes. (laughs) Although, it's (laughs) it's a lot more easy to spot in that movie because it's like, it is kind of obvious, but I think when you watch movies for the first time, you are not tuned into things like that. Yeah.
2: But even to take something as subtle as Jeff Goldblum's uh, seatbelt and to be able to uh, progress from that to sum up basically the mechanism by which the dinosaurs... <laughs> it, it's, but it's <laughs> yeah. its the fact
1: that that scene is in the movie. like. But every like, scene is in the movie. I know, but like... Why would you have a scene where a guy tries to put a seatbelt together and can't? Like, just why would that be Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know that's I mean? very like, true. It's, it's, that's the sort of level that I've tried to get to, where just yeah. every scene means something. On exactly.
2: Someone. Like, every scene is put in on purpose. yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: It's particularly prevalent in Michael Bay movies. like Okay. <laughs> all of the explosions. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was, I was being
2: facetious. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was still perplexed by how the fuck he came up with the Jurassic Park
1: interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's genius. Yeah, but it's just I think like I, I listen to the um the Empire movie podcast and like I I've started just when I watch a movie I'm just not satisfied until I know everything about that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I'm watching something for the first time or rewatching older things, I really like proper because I I mean I knew in Jurassic Park that that's how the dinosaurs ended up reproducing. Yeah. yeah so I, like yeah. I mean that immediately is an advantage, and then the fact that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah.
2: And, and and the fact, though, that it wasn't, like, two outies, it was two exactly. innies. Yeah. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah, it's so cool. I can actually, like, picture, like, that 10-second segment there in my head, like...
1: Yeah. That.
2: Wait, no, it was Alan Grant who did it.
1: Oh, are yeah. you sure? Let me think. I thought it was Jeff Goldblum, because I can picture his awkwardness when he realizes that it's not fitting. Okay, that's, that's something we can check for next time. Yeah, for sure. But in the <laughs> but, uh, meantime, do dinosaurs experience consciousness?
2: Yeah, true. D- do dinosaurs exist? Were they not just planted here by God to test our
1: faith? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm, mm. I think that that's a fair. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, did did you watch the Ken Ham um, Bill Nye debate about? No. Um, Ken Ham is the leader of the uh, Christian, um, the fundamentalist Christians, who believe that uh, the Earth is only six thousand years old and stuff. Um. And I don't believe Bill Nye should have debated him at all because yeah. it gave room for a counter argument that shouldn't be shouldn't no credence should be lent to that. Yeah, um, I, like yeah. But while he was explaining it, like I did honestly think to myself, like I can see why someone would think this.
2: Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Like
1: not not even from a like because I don't look at people like that and say oh what a fucking moron or whatever, because it's due to a number of like cultural factors that they've come to that conclusion. Mostly, I mean, some people are just even in the face of reason they're just like nah man this is all Yeah totally and, and those people need god more than we yeah, need him. Yeah yeah
2: like uh, I, I used to debate religious people a lot, and I used to get so frustrated because you, you'd think you have this watertight argument, and you'd basically be thinking, "How can you not agree with me now?" Yeah. But like the only thing I can think of is that the best thing you should do before you uh, debate a religious person is ask them the question, "What would it take for you to change your mind?" And if their answer is nothing, yeah. then you're literally wasting your time.
1: Yeah, yeah. But so that's just, yeah. that's a like one of the main principles of Christianity is your faith. You just exactly. Faith. And that's, blind faith. Yeah. Uh, like that's fair enough. It's just a the thing they believe. Well, in my opinion, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but... It's fair enough to a degree, but then when they start trying to say that kids shouldn't, like, should be taught evolution as much yeah. as they're taught creationism or stuff yeah, like I, that. I, yeah,
1: I, That's where I sort of just lose myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't be oppressive. In exactly, yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, but
2: but... I, I just don't know, though, if religion can coexist with scientific development. Like, I, th- th- that kind of worries me.
1: I think it does. Um, yeah. And, for, like, from my experience, right, uh, Christianity and religion at the moment is taken a beating um, by the Western world and the sort of intellectualism that's, uh, that's yeah. growing yeah. at the moment. But I've... There's a video on YouTube you can watch of... It's Bill Maher, um, and he's taken on a Christian scientist. Mm. And the Christian scientist guy is so so reasonable like mm, mm. when you watch the debate Bill Maher gets fucking annihilated in the debate <laughs> and he still just cause, because he attacks little pieces of text exactly stuff, yeah rather yeah. than and the Christian scientist, like the guy goes do you think that Or Bill Maher says do you think they should have killed bin Laden and the Christian scientist guy goes well yeah and he goes well I thought it's about turning the other cheek and he goes look that's a metaphorical piece of text that's written in like a however thousands of years old book it's it doesn't say well if one man commits an act of terrorism then the yeah, yeah. government on the receiving end of that shouldn't retaliate like you know what i mean yeah yeah uh, and i, I don't, don't i don't think that... the
2: bible's prepared for what to do in the event of a plane flying into yeah, a absolutely. skyscraper
1: i think that um, there's room there is plenty of room for intellectual Christians because they exist and they are rational and reasonable and I don't necessarily think that believing in God is somehow like damages your ability to rationalize things because if you're like if you interpret the Bible as actual fact obviously what I've just said is not true but
0: yeah
1: I think most Christians in well okay that was a bit much I shouldn't have said most but plenty of Christians Mm-hmm. Do understand that it's not to be taken literally, and yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: No, you shouldn't stone people to death, and
2: yeah. I like I I think what's really interesting about the religion atheism debate is not so much the content of either side, but it's the innate psychological propensity to be driven to one camp as opposed to the other. Like I honestly don't think I could ever be religious. Like I think that that is something that was. That I'm, I'm I'm neglected from. Like I literally can't even force myself to believe in a yeah. supernatural, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving deity. Like I, I I can understand the concept. I feel, but I just can't believe in it. Like I can't suspend my disbelief and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to go with it. I, I'm I'm faking it. If if I ever say that, oh yeah, I believe in God now. I'm I'm just I'm just saying the words. I'm not feeling the actual adoration or. Propitiation towards some supernatural deity
1: Yeah for sure When I was a kid I would have definitely told you I was religious Like even up to the age of say 14 I would have told you yes I believe in God Yeah. And I wouldn't have believed it though I was just saying it because I was like hedging my bets Like well if it's true yeah. then I'm sorry And if not well fuck it That's Pascal's wager isn't it Yeah it is Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and that's something that I was definitely um, like, I, I, I was definitely even aware of it But I would fight off the no part But then, right, have you ever been to, I'm sure because, I mean, you're Irish, you've probably been to mass a few times. Yeah, loads, loads, yeah. Do you not feel when, say, the priest is talking and everyone is, say, uh, I don't know, if everyone's bowing or everyone's kneeling, do you not feel a sort of a...
2: Serenity or...
1: Not serenity, but just a slight sort of conscious awareness of the fact that this could, this could be...
2: I definitely feel something spiritual in yeah, myself. spiritual
1: but, is what I should have said.
2: But not, nothing more than, say, if I was listening to a beautiful piece of classical music, if I saw, like, a, a beautiful um, picturesque event in nature, or if I read a beautiful poem. Like, nothing over and above that. Like, I think humans, as history has proven with the ubiquitousness of religion, that we are spiritual creatures. Yeah. Like, we are, and we need to acknowledge that. And I think that's something that ate, Theism or the atheist movement is still trying to catch up on the fact that we are innately spiritual and that they can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, no, we need to get rid of everything. And now it's science and only science and reason.
0: Yeah, like I think that
2: that's a very cold way of thinking, I think.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and I've been trying to art- like articulate that exact feeling yeah. for, for many years because I've felt atheism to be inherently hostile. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, needlessly so in most cases. I I found atheism to be a front for intellectual superiority, or at least perceived intellectual superiority. Yeah, yeah, certain... definitely perceived. Yeah, intellectual yeah. superiority. Yeah, uh, uh, just like not believing in God doesn't make you more intelligent than a person who believes in God. No, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I actually um, would be quite interested to discuss the nature of uh, like spirituality and how it affects consciousness. Yeah, because yeah. there are a lot of really interesting alternative medicine things that I don't think science makes room for either that actually do work. And when I hear people discuss things like this, I roll my eyes and I'm like, nah, come on. Mm-hmm. But there are many instances of things like that actually working. Like there's like this guy who can cure autism by playing a select series of sounds to kids over and over and over and like it alleviates autism it's like this really weird thing that has been documented but never gone you know beyond that um but but uh, who's documenting it say um there's a guy whose name is doige um what country I don't know where he's from, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but he he has a he's had a book published that has gained some uh, like a lot of traction from you know, specific mm. sections of the scientific community. Okay,
0: um,
1: but I think that there is this unspoken belief that all of that stuff is nonsense, and if you do believe in it, you're a hippie and all of that. Whereas in reality, there's some room for. Yeah. You consciously believing that you can do something and then going on to actually do it, like when someone's gearing up for a battle with cancer, just the belief that you will survive Definitely. is like this unquantifiable. Power. It aids survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely. And it, it's uh, obviously there, there's no way to actually like label that or you know to well how yeah. can we get more of this in people. Yeah. But it's there and it is a thing that I don't think we discuss and I it like it definitely relates to consciousness because you become consciously yeah. aware of the fact that you're controlling your sensibilities on a level that you can't just do you know, in normal circumstances.
2: What what I think is fascinating in uh, in line with that is if you look at say retired couples, elderly couples, the mortality rate of the spouse after the other spouse has died yes. is extremely high and extremely yep. quick.
1: Absolutely. And it's the you same know? in animals too. Yeah, well, yeah. Some
2: animals. Some, yeah. Like elephants and that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it, It's terrible. Yeah, like the... The, it, it's really horrible. I remember reading a National Geographic on elephants and when like a certain elephant or the, the bull elephant, the male elephant is killed by poachers, like sometimes these other elephants get so depressed they just stop eating and they just wither away, you know what I mean? And oh. it's, it's so horrible. Like elephants are such an amazing um, animal. Yeah. That's but the
1: thing, like if you told me that about ants, I wouldn't give a fuck.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Like did you ever see that Jeff Goldblum movie, speaking of Jeff Goldblum, uh, The Fly?
1: I haven't seen it. I have it oh, on DVD. it's
2: unreal. But in that, he's like, yeah, there's no politics. Uh, there's no such thing as insect politics or something to that effect. It's just so true. Like, you know what I mean? Insects, you kill or be killed. You do anything to survive. It's like a hive mentality. And like it's just fascinating. But it's it just the disparity between insects and higher mammals. Yeah. It's just fascinating.
1: Yeah, it is actually because that's even that same way where I'm perfectly willing to allow my dog to have consciousness. Mm. But I like insects no, absolutely not. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, like obviously because of the way that they look, the way that they're annoying. Yeah. There's yeah. no good context of me being in contact with an insect. I just don't want to hear about it. Like, yeah, yeah. I cannot live... If there is a fly in my room, I have to get him out straight away. Like, I, I yeah, yeah. entertain the idea of him staying there. I, I, and I never kill insects, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I'm very good at getting them out of the room, but... Yeah. The only thing I kill are wasps. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even mind killing wasps, but I'm yeah. actually too afraid to attempt it in case yeah. I retaliate, because I've never been stung.
2: I have a really weird story about wasps. Do you want to hear it?
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Okay, so I was reading Stephen King's The Shining. Um, I loved the movie, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll read the book. I heard it's a bit different, and it was. And in the book, for anyone who's read it, there's this really interesting image, or like kind of a, a metaphor or symbol, where Danny the kid gets this like empty hornet's nest, or wasp's nest, and he finds it, and he thinks it's really cool. And... He wants to bring it back to his room. So like his dad looks and everything. he yeah, it's completely empty. It's an old one. They're all dead. So he leaves it in his bedroom. He wants to hold on to it. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and it's swarming with fucking hornets and wasps or whatever. I was like, well, where the fuck do they come from? And it's the house. It's the evil spirits or whatever. And I guess it symbolizes the fact that inside Jack Torrance, Danny's dad, there's something kind of, moving in him, swarming in him. There's something awakening in him that wasn't there before. And it's as if kind of he's being consumed by this sort of evil force, the way that this old hive's nest is being consumed in that way. All right. So after reading this, I go to sleep and I wake up and there's this weird pain in my hand like this kind of it's not even a weird pain it's like a dull in the very much in the background pain i was in a deep deep sleep and i wake up and i look at my hand there's two wasps crawling on it
0: no this
2: is the next morning i'm after getting stung two or three times i must have been like moving my hand in my sleep while they were on my hand and i look up and in my air vent i notice wasps coming in and going out
1: oh my god
2: no fucking joke. It was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. So I just got some thumbtacks, some A4 sheets of paper, covered up the air vent, and killed the wasps that were in my room. But that is literally the freakiest fucking thing. That, this was the next morning. That's outrageous. Out-fucking-rageous.
1: That is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous.
2: <laughs> like, it, it, it's... If someone told that to me, I wouldn't believe them. That's how
1: ridiculous it is. If that happened to me, I would fucking move to Mexico. Exactly. Oh my god! I, if exactly. there, if there were wasps in my, I'm actually looking at my vent right now, and I'm half <laughs> tempted to fucking get up there and. Yeah,
2: I uh, see. I I didn't have anything covering the vent. I just had like the kind of the the gap. Because yeah. the, the plastic vent wasn't on because I was getting my wallpaper changed oh, and my I see. wallpaper changed. And it was just like a flap of wallpaper covering it. But you oh. could still see into it and stuff. But that was just the freakiest fucking thing.
1: I actually had a dream that um, I was on another planet.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I've, I've started taking this medication recently that gives me really vivid dreams. Okay. Um. But I've been playing this game called No Man's Sky. You may have heard of it. The gaming community is outraged about it.
0: <laughs> Interestingly,
1: what? I think the gaming community, one of the few communities on Earth that behave like one single consciousness.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know?
1: But they uh, they feel like they've been lied to and it's this big outrage. Like, To be honest, it, the game is exactly what I thought it would be and I'm surprised that people thought it would be anything different. Like The guy who made it, or rather the guy who was in charge of the team of like 12 people that made it said you could do stuff like land mm. on asteroids and but the language he used in those interviews was very careful like at the moment you can land on asteroids and you will be able to meet other people online in the universe and stuff like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i mean uh, i won't get into that that's you know the nerds will comment on this <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hero that game is terrible uh! Um, But anyways, in the game, you travel to um, other planets and other universes. Mm. um, And it's an infinite universe. You can travel to an infinite number of planets. Um, (laughs) They're generated procedurally by the game. Um, And because it's that kind of game, everything is very samey. Like, there are only so many differences.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So you kind of, you play it for maybe a day, and you've sort of seen... Almost everything you can see, apart from the rare anomaly. But um, I, in the dream, I was on one of the planets that was very clearly a, a planet from this game.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: a few times while I was playing this game, I'd be going around harmlessly mining uh, like fossils and shit from the planet in the game.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, This is in real life, like something would attack me. And it would be Mm. fucking terrifying, because it's like like a giant spider, (laughs) like, you know, a fucking, a land octopus, or something crazy that you've never seen before, because, like, no one's seen any of these animals, they're all generated automatically by the game, so like, no two are the same.
2: Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: And anyway, in the dream, I was minding my own business, mining stuff on this planet, and I felt something on my back, and I cannot express to you how vividly I felt this. Oh like, my god. Because I woke up and I it was still on my back for a good ten minutes, I'd say. Oh my god. Right. But it was a gigantic wasp that oh covered god. the entire surface area of my back.
2: That's horrifying.
1: You want to know what, what makes it slightly worse? What? It was underneath my spacesuit. Oh my god. So I zipped off the spacesuit and uh, made a sort of a parachute out of it and yeah. tried to jump off the cliff I was on so that the wasp would fall off from the pressure. Yeah. That didn't happen. And I landed at the bottom oh. still on me, wouldn't go away. Um it was just this really, really horrible dream and I couldn't wake up from it and then oh eventually my god. the alarm woke me up and um, I hate when you can't wake up from dreams. You want to know something else that's really fucking weird? What? But I had this dream about... Um, I was... I was. This was, I think, when I was living in Scotland. But I was in a bank heist.
2: Mm.
1: And, and for people who think we're off-topic, right? We're talking about the subconscious here. So, um, <laughs> but I was in a bank heist. And it was my job to wait for the alarm to ring. Like, basically, I was standing around uh, with a gun trained on all of the uh, people in the bank... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as soon as the alarm rang, I had to fire my gun in the air and run outside. Mm. And we were waiting for the alarm the whole time. We were like, "All right, the alarm is gonna be within the next few seconds. Get as much money as you can and stuff like that." And like I was shouting orders at the guys, like, "Get all, get all the stuff out of the mm. and all that shit." And then the alarm went off, and I woke up, and it was the alarm on my phone. That's so weird. I knew that my alarm was so gonna. So weird. Yeah. So I was. My subconscious was aware that I was it was near yeah. my subconscious was aware that it was 29 minutes past 7. Yeah. Isn't that's that, so weird. Like there's uh, we, I did an episode of this podcast about dreams and I spoke to my cousin who has studied like things like DMT and the more sort of pseudo intellectual aspects of the consciousness and and you know uh, effects of hallucinogens and how they relate to dreams. Yeah. And I just cannot get enough of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just one. Yeah, go on. I have a kind of similar, but, like, I think your one's
2: a bit cooler with the fucking, like, bank robbery. But I have this weird tendency to wake up exactly a minute before my alarm. It doesn't matter what time my alarm's on, I will wake up a minute before, and it's
0: fucking weird.
2: that happens to me, too. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, how can your brain keep track of time? Like it's, it's, it's it's impossible, like your brain doesn't have a chronometer or...
1: that's. A... There's another thing sort of along those lines where um, I used to work in uh, near Tala mm. so I'd have to get two buses uh, to and from work every now and then, most of the time I'd get a lift but sometimes I'd have to get the buses and there was a period over two weeks where I had to get the two buses and mm. I'd get on one bus, it would take me into town and then I'd go down to the bottom of lower abbey street to get the 41c which is like a 45 minute to an hour journey depending on the traffic and yeah 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 and i used to be in this job um i hated it i used to never sleep i was going through this like mad uh like fits of anxiety and stuff so my sleep pattern was awful Mm -hmm. and i used to fall asleep on the bus every day and wake up just before my stop yeah
2: yeah, like, you, yeah. you know that. <laughs> exactly. Like You're talking to someone who went to fucking secondary school in town like every day and I never miss my stop no matter how deep my sleep was on the bus. Yeah. It's the weirdest fucking thing.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I you, yeah,
2: you must have a, a conscious. Exactly. There's something keeping track of your whereabouts.
1: Yeah. Like, is it even that is it even that your brain just knows when the when that turn is that heavy? Exactly.
2: Turn? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It must be something like that.
1: Yeah, or an ability to keep time, but it's definitely a real thing. It's not a thing where it happens, like you know how every now and then you're like, oh, I bet it's thirteen minutes past four, and you look at your watch and you're like, hell yeah, Yeah. it is. I know everything. But this is is a real thing that happened regularly enough to determine that it is a you know a significant awareness that your brain or your
2: yeah, it's the weirdest fucking thing, but like. Like that's what scares me sometimes as well is that, like, we think that, oh, yeah, our brain, like, we're in control of our brain or we are our brain. Yeah. But our, our brain does so much shit that either we're not even aware of or that controls us in ways we're not even aware of.
1: So, do you think that you control your thoughts or your thoughts control you?
2: I feel like. Sometimes I feel like I'm a spectator and they're just coming in, they're flowing, I'm yeah. there. Sometimes then I'll focus in on something and try and remember and think about things. And then I feel like I'm initiating. But, like, what started that initiation what made me pick that word like I've no fucking idea
1: yeah that's the thing I um, I used to believe that we were in control of our thoughts but now I do not believe that
2: yeah, yeah I've had enough
1: yeah. like issues with anxiety that I know that this is not a thing that I am in control of like this is my thoughts are definitely controlling me like yeah yeah if, exactly if, if you yeah. control your thoughts and you're depressed then just stop being depressed exactly Very simple yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, and it's not like that at all. Um, yeah, fucking hell! What a deep topic.
2: Yeah, and like I feel like we could go on forever as well. Yeah,
1: so do I. I really do. I actually, we didn't even hit off a few of the things that we were. Yeah, yeah. To, but I think this is a good time to end it. Yeah. Um, you should definitely, definitely come back on this. Yeah, podcast. I'd love to. Thanks for having me on it. Yeah, no worries. You should write a book so that we can promote it on the podcast too. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well thanks a lot man
2: No worries thanks for having me